You can proceed. Okay. This meeting will come to order. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Monday, February 27th, 2023 meeting of the Rules Committee of the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. I am Supervisor Matt Dorsey, chair of, the, chair of this committee, and I'm joined today by my colleagues, Vice Chair Shimon Walton and Committee Member Asha Safai. On behalf of my colleagues, I want to express our gratitude to our committee clerk, Mr. Victor Young, and also to Michael Baltazar um, and the entire team at SFGov TV for staffing today's meeting. Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcements? <clears throat> yes, the Board of Supervisors and its committees are now convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment while still providing remote access and public comment via telephone. The Board recognizes that equitable public access is essential and will be taking public comment as follows. First, public comment will be taken on each item on this agenda. Those attending in person will be allowed to speak first, and then we will take those who are waiting on the telephone line. For those watching either channel 26, 28, 78, or 99 and sfgovtv.org, the public, the public comment call-in numbers are, is streaming across the screen. The number is 415-655-0001. Then enter the meeting ID of 2495-608-1333, then press pound and pound again. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussion, but you will mute it and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up and public comment is called, those joining us in person should line up to speak, and those on the telephone should dial star three to be added to the speaker line. If you're on the telephone, please remember to turn down your TV and all listening devices you may be using. As already indicated, we will take public comment from those attending in person first, and then we will go to public comment telephone line. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways. Email them to myself, the Rules Committee Clerk, at bictor.young at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and included as part of the file. You may also send your written comment via U.S. mail to our office at City Hall, 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, Room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. That concludes my initial comments. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Um, before asking the clerk to call item number one, I just wanted to um, uh, mention that I'm going to be making a couple of changes to the order to accommodate our colleague, President Aaron Peskin, who's going to be joining us, um, and also better accommodate public interest and participation among those who braved a rainy morning uh, to make public comment on the issue of public comment. So I will ask that items one and three be called before items two and that item number five, governing board rules around uh, remote public comment, be called before item four on the Homelessness Oversight Commission, uh, which will be the last item today. So the sequence will be one, three, two, five, and four, and I'll remember to call them in that order. Mr. Clerk, would you please call item number one? Yes, item number one is here to consider appointing one member, term ending September 2nd, 2025, to the Assessment Appeals Board number one. One seat, one applicant for seat number six. I believe this uh, speaker was present and uh, provided testimony at our last meeting, but they are present on the telephone line uh, if you like uh, additional comments from this okay. person. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, Ms. Mitchell already spoke to her interest and qualifications at our last meeting. The item had to be continued uh, due to an issue with the vacancy notice. So Ms. Mitchell is not joining us today, but is on remote. Um, if there are any follow-up questions. Uh, colleagues, are there any uh, questions for Ms. Mitchell? Seeing none, um, let's open this item up to public comment. Yes, 
Members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up to speak at this time. For those calling in remotely, you can call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2495-608-1333, then press pound and pound again. Once connected, you will need to press star 3 to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted, and that will be your cue to begin your comment. I do not see anybody in the room for public comment, and there's nobody on the telephone line for this item. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Public comment on item one is now closed. I'd like to make a motion to send item number one to the full board with a positive recommendation. Uh, Mr. Yes, Clerk. and that will be for a recommendation for appointment to seat six. And I do note that the agenda does state residency requirement is required. However, we've been previously informed that since this is a state uh, requirement, uh, residency is not required. Uh, on that motion, Supervisor Safai. Safai, aye. Vice Chair Walton. Walton, aye. Chair Dorsey. Aye. Dorsey, aye. The motion passes without objection. Thank you, Mr. Young. On a unanimous vote, then, item one goes to the full board with a positive recommendation. Mr. Clerk, would you please call item number three? Yes, item number three is a motion confirming rejecting the mayor's nomination for the appointment of Tamsin Drew to the Successor Agency Commission for a four-year term ending November 3rd, 2026. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Ms. Drew, the floor is yours. Oh, my apologies. Please proceed. Uh, thank you, Chair Dorsey and members of the Rules Committee. Uh, I am honored and humbled by Mayor Breed's appointment, which provides me the opportunity to return to public service by joining the Commission on Community Investment and Infrastructure. Today, I am seeking your support for my confirmation to serve on the Commission. Uh, please allow me to share a little of my experience and qualifications. I am personally uh, very familiar with the core work of OCII and the Commission. Having served as a senior project manager for the Hunters Point Shipyard and Candlestick Point Redevelopment Project, one of three major project areas remaining under OCII's purview. Given my experience at OCII, I have a deep knowledge and understanding of the unique challenges and complexities of delivering these projects. Specifically, during my time at OCII, I managed uh, I manage the approvals for large-scale public infrastructure, private, public, and below-market-rate housing developments, public parks, and other public amenities. I also supported establishing public financing tools like community facilities districts and site assembly efforts, including the transfer of the former Candlestick Point Stadium site and accepted clean land transfer from the Navy. During my time at OCII, I created and implemented a process for regularly reporting on the progress of public benefits and oversaw our community engagement efforts. While I have the deepest knowledge and experience of the shipyard and candlestick, I am also personally familiar with OCII's two other project areas. When I first moved to San Francisco, now over 15 years ago, I lived in student housing in Mission Bay while I attended law school. And I have worked in the Trans Bay neighborhood for the last five years and had the pleasure of serving on the East Cut Community Benefits District Board. My experience uh, in these project areas will inform my approach on the Commission. Specifically, my experience has underscored the significant promises the former redevelopment agency has made to members of the Hunters Point, Bayview, Mission Bay, and Soma communities. 
In my view, it is the role of the Commission to transparently hold the agency accountable for delivering on these commitments, whether they relate to environmental cleanup or delivering long-promised community benefits. I would be honored to give my time to this incredibly impactful and important work and humbly request your support of my confirmation. I'm available to answer any of your questions. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Drew. And um, I see my colleague, uh, Vice Chair Walton. Thank you so much, Chair Dorsey, and thank you so much for stepping up, uh, Tamsin. I do have a, a couple of questions. One, I know you're aware of the falsification of documents from Tetratech on the shipyard and the fact that the Navy still has not cleaned up the shipyard. I'm wondering how are you going to work to make sure that the Navy is held accountable for that cleanup? Yeah, thank you so much for that question, uh, Supervisor Walton. Uh, I, I was the project manager during that uh, time when the falsification of Tetratech documents came to light. Uh, obviously, the behaviors of the individuals involved is completely unacceptable. Uh, in the last five years, I haven't been as close uh, to the project, but what I see is a real crisis of trust. Uh, so the, the community needs to trust that the shipyard is cleaned up, and the commission plays a critical role in ensuring that the Navy does what they have committed to do, uh, which is to clean the site to agreed upon standards. Uh, I have a few ideas about how to do that, uh, but would like to get up to speed a little bit about what has uh, transpired in the last few years uh, since I was, uh, was involved. But uh, this is a priority for me, uh, coming back and working on the project, is ensuring that the work is done and the work is done right and that we've done the appropriate uh, outreach and engagement to uh, build that trust with the community uh, so that uh, folks have transparency into what has transpired uh, on the site. Do you mind flattering me and everybody else with one of those ideas? <laughs> sure, so, uh, so one idea that I do understand is common in other, uh, in other uh, remediation sites is to have a third party inspector uh, review the work while it's being performed. Uh, and I think that was a component uh, that was missing uh, during the Tetratech cleanup. Uh, so having that independent oversight would have you know, prevented uh, or at least been a, a check uh, on the work of the Navy's contractor while they were performing the work. And just my last question, we have a certificate of preference holders that were pushed out of certain areas here in San Francisco and we've been working hard, of course, to find those. But what are your thoughts about strengthening um, that policy and making sure that we can even get to a broader spectrum of folks who were pushed out of the city? Yeah, absolutely. The Certificate of Preference um, program, my understanding is it's both for uh, individuals who were displaced uh, from housing uh, during the uh, actions of the redevelopment agency, as well as uh, some businesses that were displaced. Uh, I know that the that, uh, OCII uh, adheres to the Certificate of Preference holder, meaning that COP holders do have uh, the right, uh, kind of the, the uh, first right uh, to uh, new affordable housing units below market rate housing units. Uh, I think the issue there has really been uh, outreach uh, to COP holders uh, to, to know when new units come online, having a really clear, easy, simple process um, for folks who are interested in accessing um, housing units uh, be available. Um, again, I'm not uh, totally up to speed uh, about what the current uh, department is, is doing to ensure that, but it's some, some questions I have for when I get on the commission uh, about how the agency is approaching those uh, and ensuring that COP holders know uh, what, 
what rights they have uh, as, as certificate holders, as well as uh, that it's made easy for them to access uh, those rights. Thank you. And next up, uh, Supervisor Safai. I just wanted to, I, I know you had your statement prepared. really appreciate you coming in today, and I thought we had a really nice conversation the other day. Just wanted to give you an opportunity to say just a couple more words about how you see the future of, of not redevelopment, but the body that you're going to sit on um, and what role it plays in helping San Francisco achieve some of the affordable housing goals that we're trying to achieve over the next 10, 10 years. Yeah, thank you so much for that uh, question, Supervisor Safai. Uh, so uh, the f former redevelopment agency, you know, really has a very clear uh, mandate on what uh, they should be be working on. Uh, you know, it, it's rare for public bodies to have such such clarity. Uh, so, so the the role is really to uh, complete the development of uh, Mission Bay, Trans Bay, and Hunters Point Shipyard and Candlestick Point. Uh, as you all are, are well aware, the city just completed their housing element, which called for a significant number of uh, housing uh, units to be developed in San Francisco. And really, these sites provide, um, especially uh, Candlestick and, and the shipyard, provide immense opportunities uh, for delivering not only on the market rate component, but even more meaningfully on the below market rate uh, units that will be, will be built and that we've all committed to in terms of our vision for the future of our city. Thank you. And then one last thing, we talked about it. Do you think uh, OCI will ever work with the Warriors Arena to get that small piece of land <laughs> I think in front of the <laughs> arena done? <laughs> I, I think that that, that park is uh, is effectively what I'm what I'm uh, you know the the core to what I'm interested in doing is saying we've made these commitments we've made commitments to build parks we've made commitments to build housing uh, and we need to deliver uh, on those so I think that's another uh, prime example of the work that OCII needs to do um, efficiently and effectively. Yes, Supervisor Chair Dorsey, we want that park done in front of the Warriors Arena. <laughs> Don't get me started. Thank you so that. much. <laughs> thank you, Supervisor. Great. Thank you, um, colleagues. Thank you, Ms. Drew. I want to also just, I was in the San Francisco City Attorney's Office during a lot of the issues that went on with Tetra Tech, and that, that is something that it, it um, I appreciate the, the line of questioning about that because when that kind of thing ha happens, it diminishes uh, communities' trust um, in our city and in our government, and in including the federal government and the you know, it's contractors, and uh, so I, I really value the uh, institutional memory and knowledge of these issues that, you know, really affect uh, Supervisor Walton's district and my district. Um, I'm also, I appreciate, you know, from our conversation, I'm a big fan of, um, you know, the East Cut CBD and Spur mm -hmm. and some of the things, that the groups that you're involved in. Um, I think if there are no more comments or from colleagues, that's Mr. Clerk, can we open up this to public comment? Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and joining us in person should line up to speak at this time. For those listening remotely, you can call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2495-608-1333, then press pound and pound again. Once connected, you will need to press star 3 to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue the wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted, and that will be your queue to begin your comments. Um, we have a person, uh, in-person commenter. 
Good morning, Chair Dorsey, committee members. I'm Andrew Robinson, the Executive Director of the East Cut Community Benefit District, and I'm, I'm really proud to be here today to speak in support of Tamsin's appointment to the OCI Commission. Um, as you know, Tamsin just shared that she was both a city staff member as well as an OCII staff member. Um, but in the intervening five years, she's accumulated a diverse range of experiences that I think will serve the commission well. Um, Tamsin not only served on the East Cut CBD board, but she was very actively engaged in some of the key projects of the neighborhood and of the board, uh, helping us work through some conversations and negotiations with the Trans Bay Joint Powers Authority where we help co-manage the park atop the transit center. Um, and as she knows, we are also actively trying to build a park, uh, Supervisor Safai, the Underramp Park or East Cut Sports and Dog Park. So uh, we very much look forward to the commission helping move that project along as well. Uh, but I trust that her active involvement sort of through her city years, as well as since she left the city, bring her, uh, a wealth of information and knowledge that will help her make uh, strong, thoughtful decisions around projects that can create a vibrant, healthy San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you. Hi there, Supervisors. I'm uh, Jermaine Jones, a lifetime San Francisco resident, uh, here to speak in support of Tamsin Drew. Um, I had a unique honor of working with Tamsin for two years when she was in the mayor's office and um, just wanted to speak to some of her qualities there. Uh, Tamsin would be an incredible member of this board because of her uh, infectious optimism. Uh, she sees a problem and takes it head on. Uh, they sometimes seem insurmountable, but Tamsin does not let up. Uh, she's also um, incredibly passionate about the work she does. Um, she held the job at the mayor's office working in legislative and government affairs, uh, but during the time she was there, her fingerprints were all over development in this city, and you can find that by clicking through Legistar and seeing her name everywhere. Uh, and then finally, uh, Tamsin's one of the most uh, humble public servants I had ever worked with. Uh, she didn't seek accolades for the work she did. Uh, she just got the work done, and uh, everyone in the office really appreciated that. So. I hope you'll support Tamsin. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, seeing no additional people in the room for public comment, we can move to our remote public comment. We have three people in line for remote. Can we have our first caller? Hello, good morning. Thank you um, for unmuting me and taking my question or my comment. Um, thank you for the new appointment. I would like to voice my concern, especially when working with um, my community in the Bayview Hunters Point. Um, as we have all seen, there has been a lot of people that come and go, um, except for Shimon Walton, who is uh, historically going to be a fixture there. Um, I am deeply concerned about any new appointment um, with any power in our redevelopment, especially our OCII because we are still struggling with our contractors, with our residents to actually have a even playing fair ground. Um, and so some of my concerns are about the community outreach, about the OCII and the redevelopments and how the outreach is gonna go, not with just with the community members, but with also the community members that are actively in the contractors union um, that are on those boards because while in the last years, yes, we have seen more development, we are still seeing a decline in numbers as far as with us. Um, and so 
With that said, I would just like a commitment um, here and now from you, which sounds like you have made that commitment across the board, um, but that is just my personal concern as a native unicorn San Francisco made you native. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Hello. Um, my name is Tanika Moss. Um, thank you, Chair Dorsey and committee members. Um, uh, I am the founder and CEO of All Home, which is a Bay Area organization working to address housing insecurity and homelessness. And I've had the pleasure of working with uh, Tamsin Giroux over the years, and I am speaking today in support of her appointment uh, to the commission. I think uh, Tamsin, like some of the other um, speakers have said, is one of the most humble public servants I've ever known and is truly committed to advancing um, the work of OCII and, frankly, improving the conditions for those most vulnerable in our communities. Um, we've had a, the, I've had the pleasure of working both with Tamsin in the city of San Francisco as well as across the region in her role at Salesforce and serving on the board of SPUR, and I couldn't think of a better person to serve in this capacity. So thank you so much for the time, and I really recommend that you all approve her confirmation. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Good morning, everybody. My name is Essen Joseph Baba. I'm actually one of our San Francisco Veteran Affairs Commission, and I'm dialing in from a Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, actually, to uh, reaffirm my support for uh, Ms. Hampson Drew. She's been a great leader to me, both at Salesforce and on the Veterans Commission, of understanding the, the intersection of the desire to do good and the politics that it requires to execute. So I want to really express my support and my enthusiasm to have uh, Hampson uh, Drew on the commission. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? So supervisors, my name is Francisco da Costa. You all read the grand jury report. And the grand jury report states in the final paragraph that the departments, the city departments, should be held responsible for the cleanup of the shipyard. The shipyard should be cleaned to residential standards. In order to do that, we need billions of dollars. So who's going to do the cleanup? And who has the money? Having said that, when we asked the Navy to come to the public meetings, the Navy refused, not once, not twice, but many times. So we do have a supervisor who says that the shipyard should be cleaned, but he has no idea how much it will cost. No idea whatsoever. We have Lena who wanted to build a ship 
shopping mall and now wants to build buildings. And our supervisors have not informed us as to what is going to really happening there at the former Candlestick Stadium that has been torn down. There's a big hole over there. So we have no leadership. Speaker time has no been. leadership. Thank you very much. Just note, uh, each, each uh, public commenter is allocated two minutes per speaker. Uh, we do apologize if we have to cut anybody off. Can we have our next caller, please? Hello, my name is Leah Mazeever, um, and I'm just listening in on this meeting, and I picked up on uh, what Tamsin said about the community needing to trust that the shipyard is cleaned up. And I just hope that everyone in government realizes that the onus is on the government and just the government to clean up this shipyard and create any trust. The community doesn't owe you trust when <laughs> such trust has been broken to such a horrendous degree. And I hope everyone is following um, the Hunter's Point Community Biomonitoring Program that is uh, monitoring the environmental toxic exposures, radiation exposures and pollution that's affecting um, the area. And we have things <laughs> that are very radioactive, very toxic, um, having disastrous health effects on uh, residents there, people there, um, including something called the cancer necklace, which is um, a ring around the radiation site, the shipyard where people, uh, women are getting breast cancer and it's a very distinct pattern. Um, there's daycare you know, sensors near this radio radioactive site. Um, so I hope that is on everyone's mind, especially when considering adding more people to this area. Okay, thank you, bye. Thank you, can we have the next caller please? Thank you, Chair Dorsey and Supervisors. I'm Sujata Srivastava, San Francisco Director for SPUR, and I'm calling to express my strong support for Tamsin's appointment to the OCII Commission. As you heard in her statement, Tamsin has significant experience working on public-private partnerships, including entitlement phases and post-entitlement development. Um, she's worked on major development projects like Hunter's Point, and um, this experience is particularly important as the city navigates the many challenges related to getting pipeline projects off the ground to meet the city's housing element goals of 82,000 units over the next eight years. As a member of the SPUR board, Tamsin served on our ballot analysis committee where she's shown a strong commitment to good governance, transparency, and equity. I think these qualities will be essential as OCII and many other city departments are navigating the complications of environmental hazards resulting from groundwater rise at Bayview Hunters Point and also many of the other projects that are significant to the city's goals. Thank you very much. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Hello, my name is Deanna. I live in the Bayview and I'm calling to express my support for Tamsin Drew on the um, Commission, I believe Tamsin has the knowledge and the passion and the drive to really fight for the residents of San Francisco and represent um, us on the commission. 
I also think she will, uh, she has the knowledge, the temperament, and the commitment to hold the federal government accountable and make sure they are fulfilling their requirements under the law. Uh, and I urge your support. Thank you. Uh, that was our last, last public comment for this matter. Great. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Public comment on this item is now closed. And seeing no further uh, discussion from my colleagues, I'd like to make a motion to amend the motion to strike reject on page 1, lines 3 and 13, and to send this motion to the full board with a positive recommendation. Mr. Yeah. Clerk. Yes, on that motion to amend and to recommend to the full board. Supervisor Safai. Safai, aye. Vice Chair Walton. Walton, aye. Chair Dorsey. Aye. Dorsey, aye. The motion passes without objection. Thank you, Mr. Young. On a unanimous vote, then item three will go to the full board with a positive recommendation. Mr. Clerk, would you please call item number two? Yes, item number two is a motion approving re slash rejecting the mayor's nomination for the appointment of Victoria Gray, term ending December 31st, 2026, to the Historic Preservation Commission. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. And Ms. Gray, the floor is yours. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Chair Dorsey and uh, member of the Rules Committee and President Peskin. It's a delight to see you again. It's a true honor to be here today and have the opportunity to serve one of the greatest cities in the world. I am a native San Franciscan, born and raised here. With 42 years ago, San Francisco is in my blood. Regarding my nomination, I would first like to address my qualifications. My academic training and my work experience meet the Secretary of the Interior's professional qualification standards for history. I have a bachelor's degree in art history, and I've worked at the professional institution of Bonhams and Butterfields since 2003. My work over the past two decades includes immense experience in Northern American and Bay Area histories, and much of my research and work has focused on historic interiors and their significance in the Bay Area and North America, as well as important Bay Area estate collections of historic figures. The HPC has landmark authority over buildings interiors, and the commission has a critical need for someone who has expertise on interiors, objects, monuments, frescoes, murals, artifacts, and furniture. It is my understanding that the body of the HPC currently does not have any professional expertise in this capacity. I have researched, written, and contributed scholarly essays focused on objects and artifacts from San Francisco Bay Area, as well as historically important Bay Area civic monuments and murals. I've had the opportunity to handle collections from historically important San Franciscans, including the Sutro family, the Dollar family, Charles Templeton Crocker of the Big Four fame, and more recently, our beloved George and Charlotte Schultz. I have researched and written and contributed to scholarly essays focusing on the Asian American and Native American cultures of San Francisco and the Bay Area. This includes work on the Ellicane collection of Mono Lake basketry, one of the more important Native American basket collections from the Yosemite and Eastern Sierra region. 
I have also completed historic work including deaccessions from the San Francisco Asian Art Museum, a rare Ming collection from Eleanor Majors Carlyle, a longtime resident of Russian Hill, and the collection of the late Cecilia Cheng, who was a famous San Francisco restaurateur and had the Mandarin restaurant at Ghirardelli Square for many decades. I have also advised, researched, and handled the auctions for relief sculptures from the Palace of Fine Arts, as well as several longtime institutions, such as Henry Africa and Eddie Rickenbacker. I worked on an in-depth feasibility study for the Diego Rivera mural located at the San Francisco Art Institute, as well as the archive from the Grabhorn family from the Grabhorn Press Building located at 1335 Sutter Street, which is listed in the National Register of Historic Places. I have worked extensively and helped advise some of our most treasured Bay Area institutions, including SF MoMA, the Wells Fargo Museum on Montgomery Street, the De Young Museum, the Legion of Honor, and of course, the Asian Art Museum. My professional work and research over the past 20 years has served to immortalize these collections so that they can take place in Bay Area history in a documented way to continue to be shared with generations of Bay Area residents to come. I have dedicated my life's work to the preservation, protection, and promotion of our city's cultural icons and artifacts. I am here today to answer any questions you may have. And again, I am honored and excited to serve this city with my expertise. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Ms. Gray. I really appreciate your willingness to serve. And I wanted to see if there's my colleagues have any uh, questions. Sure. Uh, thank you, Chair Dorsey, um, and thank you, Ms. Gray, and thank you for taking the time to visit with me last week. Um, and I just want to start out by speaking about uh, the role of the Historic Preservation Commission, its founding, and how we got here. Uh, in 2007, I believe, I was the author of a charter amendment uh, that elevated our then many decades Landmarks Preservation Advisory Board to the status of a commission um, when, the, uh, when Article 10 of the Planning Code was first adopted in, I believe, late 1960s when Joe Alioto was the mayor. The Landmarks Preservation Advisory Board was a rather cutting-edge concept in urban America but by the time we passed Prop J, uh, some decades later, San Francisco was actually behind the times as it related to historic preservation governance. Um, so thank you to the voters of San Francisco for seeing fit to approve that. Uh, the Historic Preservation Commission, um, in addition to including general uh, slots on its uh, for at-large uh, folks also um, was designed around the notion of having specific types of historic preservation expertise. Uh, and in the case of this particular seat um, is an individual that is required to meet the Secretary of the Interior 
uh, of the United States standards um, for history relative to eligibility. And so I, I, I think uh, part of the question for this committee and the Board of Supervisors in considering this nomination is whether or not indeed uh, the nominee meets those qualifications. Um, and, and I want to start this by noting that um, there has been a lack, uh, and I say this respectfully but truthfully, of collaboration between the appointing authority and this Board of Supervisors and the drafter of, uh, of this measure, uh, as well as the Board of Supervisors in general, and that, of course, is not Ms. Gray's uh, problem or fault, but I, I wanted to note that for the record. I also want to say that um, previous individuals appointed this seat arguably also did not meet the criteria. And then I would like to add that uh, this is a city of slightly less than a million people with very educated uh, folks, and there are no shortage of people who clearly meet the Secretary of Interior standards uh, that reside in San Francisco and would be eligible for this. That, um, so I, I'd like to delve in a little bit uh, as to whether or not um, this nomination does meet uh, the eligibility criteria. But before I do that, and this was part of my conversation with you, Ms. Gray, uh, last week, um, and while I certainly note uh, that everything that you said uh, with regard to your professional experience around uh, objects um, through Butterfields is, sounds true and correct to me, it was the larger questions of historic preservation. Um, and so I, I wanted, and I asked you a few questions on Friday, and I, I don't want to go back into those, um, but I just wanted to, at a high level, understand what your understanding is. Uh, and so I was just going to ask you a, a handful of questions um, around uh, the criteria that the Secretary of Interior uh, sets forth for the standards for treatment of historic properties um, and specifically wanted to ask if you could elucidate what the four National Register criteria for evaluating historic significance are. Well, let's start with one question at a time. What's the first one? Can you tell us what the four National Register criteria for evaluating historic significance are? Uh, no, at this moment I cannot. Um, there's a wide variety of historic resource types, buildings, sites, structures, objects, historic districts uh, that can be listed on the National Register of Historic Places, the California Register of Historical Resources, and our city's Articles 10 and 11. Uh, can you tell us about the difference between those inventories? Yes, Article 10 deals with local landmarks, and Article 11 deals with conservation districts. 
Um, I would say that when I am evaluating historic interiors and also much of the work that I have done with exteriors and our built environment regarding um, things that you find on the outside, such as relief sculptures, murals, frescoes, monuments, when we assess things like that, we uh, go through similar criteria that we do when we work with tangible objects and cultural artifacts, such as materials. So if we're speaking about the built environment, is it marble? Is it brick? Is it a significant material? We look at rarity of form. Is there a decorative facade? Is there unusual glasswork? Of course we look at age. We look at provenance. Is there a specific maker? Is there a named hand involved in the design? Is it historically significant due to a figure or a family or, an, or uh, a historic action that happened in that particular location? And finally, we look at integrity. Does the work still resemble the way it did when it was created? Any comments on the difference between the federal, state, and local inventories you spoke to Articles 10 and 11? No, I am familiar at a high level with Articles 10 and 11. I make it a purpose uh, to not opine on topics that I do not feel I have uh, completely done my homework on. That is not something that I have day-to-day -day experience with, and so um, I do not want to make an opinion unless it's an, an educated one on my part. Thank you. I totally appreciate your candor. There are other questions I could uh, ask, but I will uh, yield my time back to you, Mr. Chair, and I will reserve some final comments uh, after we hear from the public. Thank you, President Peskin. Seeing, oh, here's... Uh Supervisor Safai. I, I just have one question because I it sounds like a lot of your experiences on the built form on the interior of buildings and historic artifacts. Um, how, do you know how often at the Historic Preservation Commission you're they are asked to weigh in on the interior of buildings versus the exterior? I building? think that only five to ten percent of our historic landmarks have um, interiors, where the interiors are landmarked also. I remember it was either Supervisor Peskin or Amiano uh, at, made a motion to preserve the historic nature of a theater in the mission. Was that you, Supervisor Peskin, or was that Supervisor Amiano? I think that was Tom. Supervisor Amiano. I remember that happening once in, in, in my time in this building, but I was curious to know if you had any. So, I guess it, it doesn't happen very often, but um, you know, it's uh, it's not just the interior of the building; it's also you know very relevant with um, with objects of interiors, and of course, right. things like murals and seats have been very um, uh, crucial items recently on <laughs> on agendas. And so, you know, I have that, noticed that, that there true. is a void in in this expertise, and you know, it's not just objects and artifacts, you know, people can say, I just deal with, you know, the painting in my hand or something like that. But, you know, we have worked to excavate, preserve, um, and, and promote entire interior spaces. So, you know, fully paneled oak rooms, like the one that we are in today, right. we have worked, you know, to, to remove those, save those, move those to museums. Um, so if they are not landmarked, they can still be 
conserved and, and saved for uh, our, our Bay Area culture and history. So on that point, I mean, I guess that is something that is very relevant right now, the Castro Theater. There's a big debate going on with regard to the seats and the use of that. How would you approach that topic? Yeah, I um, fully support the HPC's uh, recent decision to landmark the interior. Um, I also agree that the seats in the balcony from the 1920s are historic and should remain, and I applaud them for keeping those. Um, it's my professional opinion that the seats uh, on the ground floor from 2000 are not historic. While I understand that the use case may have uh, a historic purpose in terms of people sitting there for sing-alongs and other things that have gone on for many years. But the seats themselves, um, I support the HBC's decision that, that those are not historic. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, seeing no other comments among my colleagues, can we open this up to public comment? Mr. Clark? Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and joining us in person should line to speak at this time. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2495-608-1333, then press pound and pound again. Once connected, you will need to press star three to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue the way until the system indicates you have been unmuted and that'll be your cue to begin your public comment. We have an in-person public commenter. Please proceed. Good morning. I'm Carolyn Monte. I'm the president and CEO of San Francisco Heritage. Our mission is to preserve and enhance San Francisco's architectural and cultural resources and identity, to advocate for that which makes San Francisco beautiful, unique, a beloved home, as well as an international destination. You're considering a new commissioner at a crucial time in our history. In every instance, the commission's first responsibility is to the resource, held in trust for the people of San Francisco and for future generations. The commission needs to act with authority and conviction in its deliberations. It needs to keep faith with the public. We don't often talk about good governance, but never has there been a greater need for good governance than now. Good governance requires that each commissioner fully appreciates the commission's responsibilities, understands the standards that are used to make determinations, and has a depth of knowledge about history and historical context. The Secretary of the Interior's professional qualifications were developed to ensure that bodies such as the HPC can abide by the highest standards, make tough calls, and act with conviction. As you know, it is your responsibility to ensure that each commissioner personifies both the letter and the spirit of these qualifications, including technical expertise, subject matter authority, experience and standing in their respective relevant fields. As a matter of good governance, San Francisco Heritage would support the nomination of commissioners who meet the Secretary's professional qualification standards. However, we cannot support the nomination of the candidate before you today. As always, San Francisco Heritage supports your endeavors and looks forward to continuing our partnership with the Speaker city as we collectively shape our future. Thank you. Thank you. 
Can we have her? Um... Okay, one moment. Um... There being no further parties in the room, we can move to our telephone public commenters. Um, good morning, the supervisors. My name is Richard Johns. I am a, uh, and have for the last 12 years, occupied the seat of historian on the Historic Preservation Commission, the seat uh, to which Victoria Gray has been um, appointed. Uh, I want to be clear that I am here today speaking on behalf of myself and not the Historic Preservation Commission. I think that there's absolutely no question that um, Victoria Gray is well qualified uh, to occupy the seat of the historian. And uh, she gave, I thought, an impressive um, history of her accomplishments upon which um, that qualification is based. I have found that um, over the last 12 years, the commission has been called upon to not only um, um, preserve uh, exteriors, but interiors. Uh, interiors do not uh, uh, come before the commission uh, as often as exteriors, but when they do, they are extremely important. And uh, the commission has really, uh, although it's been assisted by staff in a very competent way, uh, it has not had the uh, expertise on the commission itself which Ms. Gray would provide. Uh, I think that it's, it's extremely important that um, she was born and raised in San Francisco. I say that because although it's not a qualification for the seat, it is tremendously important when evaluating uh, comments that people both in favor of and in opposition to projects of various kinds make. Um, Speaker uh, time has because there's no uh, Thank you for your comment. Can we have our next public commenter? Good morning, supervisors. My name is Aaron Bastian. I am calling to express my strong support for Victoria Gray. I have worked with Ms. Gray for two decades now. I have found her to be collaborative and detail-oriented on highly complex projects involving parties often at loggerheads. Her role requires a confidential and ethical approach in dealing with, at times, fighting siblings and, um, I would say, overly litigious lawyers. Uh, her ability to listen and problem solve within oftentimes tense situations, I think will be highly useful to her work for the city uh, on this project. And I highly recommend you approve Victoria's confirmation. Thank you. Hi, can we have our next caller, please? My name is Francisco da Costa, and I represent the first people of San Francisco and I endorse this candidate. She is qualified for this job. And we must remember 
that we need somebody on the Historic Preservation Commission to look deep into the indigenous people. And we must remember that the Board of Supervisors and the city and county of San Francisco does not have an inventory of landmark buildings in San Francisco. So the audacity of somebody to challenge a candidate who's fully qualified, purporting to know as to who can be and who can be not on the Historic Preservation Commission. I work for the Department of Interior. I understand the various landmark and other historic issues, and I endorse Victoria Gray. Uh, thank you. Uh, just checking, that was our last public commenter on this matter. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. I'd like to recognize Supervisor Safai. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. I just want to take a moment of... No. My apologies. My apologies. That public comment is now closed. Supervisor Safai. Thank you, Mr. Chair. I just want to take a moment of privilege to just say hello to the St. Vincent de Paul third graders that are in the room here with Supervisor Stephanie. Can they stand up and be recognized? Stand up. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. Thank you, students from St. Vincent de Paul. Um, I uh, want to just say I appreciate um, uh, Ms. Gray and her willingness to serve on this important commission and I want to thank you for uh, taking time to, yeah. to meet with me and you know as we talked about um, you know I do appreciate as a supervisor who represents District 6 and we have um, some interiors that are notable including the Palace Hotel at the, the Garden Court um, and that is I do appreciate that there is um, important uh, landmarks that are interiors for which you have um, expertise that right now isn't on the commission. At the same time, I do, you know, I acknowledge reasonable minds can disagree on some things, and I do want to, um, you know, give credit where credit is due to my colleague, President Peskin, for um, his leadership uh, back in 2008 in creating a historic preservation committee commission um, that is serving the city well. Um, and I will. Uh, I do appreciate that, you know, his thoughts on making sure that we have a collaborative environment on which um, appointments are made, but I do want to, uh, with that, uh, recognize my colleague, President Peskin. Thank you, Chair Dorsey. Um, let me say a couple of three, four things. Uh, one is, separate and apart from collaboration between the executive and legislative branches, uh, Equally or more important is collaboration between the appointing authority and the voice of the preservation community, which we heard from today. 
San Francisco Architectural Heritage, as they were originally called, Heritage as they are now called, uh, a very well-respected uh, voice for historic preservation, cultural preservation um, in San Francisco, uh, dates back now getting on to a half a century um, and predates all of us, uh, the appointing authority and the uh, confirming authority, the Board of Supervisors, and um, they had a seminal role in crafting Proposition J that created the Historic Preservation Commission. And I say to this board and to our mayor uh, that they should be consulted, uh, they should um, be collaborated with, and uh, this board of supervisors should listen to them. And so uh, what we heard today relative to uh, that seat and um, their contention that the uh, individual, Ms. Gray, does not meet the qualifications, uh, I think is very instructive. Uh, and um, to that end, I wanted to get into the details of why I believe, albeit a line call, uh, that the nominee does not actually meet um, the Secretary of Interior standards. And before I get that, I just want to say for the record that the appointment letter, not to quibble, is not a reappointment. This is an appointment. The appointment letter says it's a reappointment, but it is not a reappointment. So I just wanted to say that for the record. And then one other uh, issue just around interiors, which is the law is that we cannot use our police powers to landmark an interior in the city and county of San Francisco unless it is generally has been a public facility. So, for instance, we cannot landmark the interior of an individual residence. We can landmark the interior of, say, a movie theater, and that or, the, or as you said, uh, Chair Dorsey, uh, the Garden Court at the Palace Hotel, which has been accessible to the public. That is why so few interiors uh, are landmarked. Actually, in a city that is one of the oldest cities on the western seaboard of the United States, this city has uh, very few landmarks, actually, about 300 uh, total and very few and all quite small historic districts, uh, but interiors don't really play a big role. But now let me delve into the qualifications, um, which says that the minimum, minimum pr professional qualification uh, is a graduate degree in history or a closely related field. We're clear that we don't meet that. Alternatively, it is a bachelor's degree in history or a closely related field, in this particular case, art history. That's a closely related field. And one of the following, at least two years of full-time experience in research, writing, teaching, interpretation, or other demonstrable professional activity with an academic institution, historical organization, or agency, museum, or other professional institution, or substantial contribution through research and publication to the body of scholarly knowledge in the field of history. So it's really those latter two that we would have to evaluate. And again, 
not clear cut, but I would argue that the candidate does not meet either of those two following required criteria, namely that an auction house is a commercial enterprise, not a professional institution in the context of history. And secondly, after researching it, and while the individual has written essays, uh, they do not rise to the level of a substantial contribution through research and publication to the body of scholarly knowledge in the field of history. So I would say for those reasons uh, that uh, the individual does not meet the Secretary's standards uh, for history and would respectfully suggest that this com committee forward this item to the full board with a recommendation of uh, reject. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you, Ms. Gray. Uh, I think you would be well seated for one of the at-large positions on the commission, but not for this one, which is really uh, envisioned to be an academician in the, uh, who meets the Secretary of Interior's standards for history. Thank you, President Peskin. Uh, seeing no further comment or questions from my colleagues. Wait, uh, I'm sorry, I, oh, Mr. Oh. Chair, I, I didn't put my name on, but can you, Supervisor Peskin, can you speak a little bit more to that, or do we have someone here from the Historic Preservation that can speak to the, the actual seat that the individual is being nominated to fill? The I mean, I understand it says seat for a historian, um, and yeah, it's set forth in section 4.135 of the charter. I mm -hmm. just made that up. Is that true? No, no, it's 4.135. That's okay. right. Uh, which clearly states that said seat uh, meets the Secretary of Interior Standards for History, which I just laid out, which is either a graduate degree in history. No, or no, I, I have all the qualifications in front of me. I just wanted to speak a little bit more about that the seat with the intent based on the minimum qualifications that you described is designed to be someone whose profession is, is an historian. And it seems to me that it would be someone that would have academic and professional work in that field extensively. I, I feel a little bit conflicted. I appreciate Ms. Gray coming out today because I can tell based on the work that she's done, she's obviously done a lot of work with historic artifacts, historic um, objects, understands the intent of it. And someone that was a former chair of this commission, what I always try to do is look for individuals that might rise to the occasion in terms of the appointment that they're about to seek. They might not be the most experienced. And Supervisor Peskin is right. We do, we could pick academics, we could pick people with significant, extensive um, experience for a role, or we could pick someone that might have more minimal qualifications, but those minimal qualifications are grounded in the intent of what we're trying to do. So I feel a bit conflicted about this. Um, I don't doubt and question Ms. Gray's experience in any way, and I appreciate it, and I think that it certainly would add to the conversation, but I also um, understand what Supervisor Peskin's saying, and, and we do have institutions in the city that we work with and look to for advice, and one of them is the historic preservation community, and I think that's uh, in terms of what we're talking about in terms of trying to work more in collaboration um, with those bodies. So I feel a bit conflicted about it, um, but just wanted to say that for the record. Thank you.
Thank you, Supervisor Safai. Um, seeing no further questions or comments, um, I'm inclined to support this. Um, and as uh, such, I am going to move to amend the motion to strike uh, the term reject on page one, lines three and 13, and send this motion to the full board with a positive recommendation. Mr. Clerk, can I get a roll call on that motion? Yes, on the motion to uh, amend to delete rejecting in the legislation and recommend it to the to the board on that motion. Hold, hold on. Ms. Yeah, Mr. Chair, I, I, th I, th I think in this instance what might be a better um, move, just for your consideration, and, and you can stick with your recommendation or not, but it seems like there's still an opportunity for there to be further conversations, get a little more information. It might be better to send it without recommendation and let the full board look at those qualifications. But I, I understand the, the, the motion has already been made. Um, so, Deputy City Attorney Ann Pearson, for mayoral appointments, they come oh. to this board for consideration, and this committee then sends them either with a recommendation of approve or reject. Oh. So that's why the motion was oh, made to it. amend the. We don't uh, have the we don't have the authority on the nominations. I forgot. It's been a little while since I've been on this committee, <laughs> so we don't have the opportunity to say without. It's either approve, reject, or. That's correct. Mm. Makes it even tougher. Okay. Thank you, Supervisor Safai. Mr. Clerk? Yes, on that motion. Supervisor Safai. Mm. I guess I'm going to say, I guess we can make this final decision at the board. Ultimately, the board will decide then. And at the board vote that. Got two votes. Mm. Okay, I'm going to say no. Sorry. Safai, uh, no. Vice Chair Walton. Walton, aye. Chair Dorsey. Aye. Dorsey, aye. The motion passes with uh, Supervisor Safai dissenting in committee. Thank you, Mr. Young. On a split vote then, item number two will go to the full board with a positive recommendation. Uh, Mr. Clerk, Clerk, will you please call item number five? Yes, item number five is a motion discontinuing remote participation by members of the Board of Supervisors at meetings of board and its committees for reasons related to COVID-19 and discontinuing remote public comment by members of the public at meetings of board and its committees, except as legally required to enable people with disabilities to participate in such meetings. Uh, thank you, Mr. Clerk. I'm seeing no colleagues. I know there are some Folks who are here to speak to this, um, Mr. Clerk, can we open public comment? Yes. Members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up to speak at this time. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2495-608-1333, then press pound and pound again. Once connected, you will need to press star three, to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue the wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted, and that will be your cue to begin your public comment. Uh, can we have our first in-person public commenter? Hi, my name is Anaxo Rama. I'm with Senior and Disability Action, and I'm a District 6 resident. Public access to community decision-making is a crucial point of oversight in our democracy. 
It ensures that decisions are made with community participation that could not otherwise be at the table. Often missing from the decision-making table are seniors and people with disabilities, working people and families. Public comment access is an important part of being at the table and expressing individual and community input in the way that the decision makers have to listen. More than 100 community organizations want San Francisco to keep a remote public comment option to ensure that people can share input on housing, transportation, health, racial equity, and other issues. Many cities around the Bay Area, around the country, are offering remote public comment by phone and video. These include Oakland, San Jose, Walnut Creek, Detroit, and Washington, D.C. Is San Francisco going to fall behind on public uh, civic participation? Is San Francisco going to send the message to the rest of the country it's okay to curb participatory democracy and fuel right-wing attempts to roll us back? That's a terrible precedent to set. Thank you. Can we have our next speaker? Good afternoon. My name is Alyssa Matros. I urge you to keep remote access to meetings in this chamber and in other commissions. With all the issues facing San Francisco, I find it mind-boggling that this remote access issue has been such a focus. So many seniors, disabled people, immunocompromised people, parents, and working people in San Francisco will find it impossible to make their voices heard. I taught in the San Francisco Unified School District for 50 years. Teachers have limited time for civic engagement. Now I have the time, but without remote access, I will find the barriers to participation daunting. I urge you to continue remote access and on a side note, I hope you got my Lacey Valentines in the mail. Thank you. Hi, my name is Itzel Romero. I'm with Senior and Disability Action as a housing organizer. Um, many low-income people and black indigenous people of color live far from City Hall making it hard to come in person and have their voices heard. Remote participation should be allowed for all rather than only as a reasonable accommodation, requiring people to identify as disabled and ask for an accommodation ahead of time as an extra barrier that makes it less likely for people to participate. And non-disabled people also have valid reasons to participate remotely. Increased public engagement should be celebrated rather than prevented. I sincerely hope that you all vote to keep remote access available to all. Thank you. Good morning. Uh, my name is Ligia Montano. I'm also with Senior and Disability Action. And I'm here. Um, so maybe you guys can look at me. This is me, Ligia. And um, I, I wanted to tell you something. Um, Friday... I was doing almost okay, I thought. But if I needed to um, ask for accommodations for this meeting, I would probably not you know, I, I'd be able to call or do anything. And I have asthma, and you know what? I cannot schedule my asthma. My crisis, when it happened, it happened. I cannot accommodate that. 
I cannot also, you know, prevent like, oh yeah, I'm gonna call in and say, hey, I'm gonna need accommodations because I might have this or that. And, um, and I think that, you know, I know you guys care about the community, otherwise you wouldn't be here, right? And so um, I wanted to um, ask you to please keep remote participation because it's the only way that we can secure that is equitable for everybody. And um, I wanted to say, like, I want to thank um, Supervisor Safai for all his work with um, the, uh, keeping the uh, um, units in um, St. Luke's open for, you know, people with disabilities. And so I wanted to remind you that this is why we need your support on this. So it's gonna be equitable for everybody, just the way that you fought to keep, you know, those units open for people that needed um, sleep care. We need that kind of openness for our, you know, seniors and people with disabilities in San Francisco. And thank you so much for those of you that are already supporting this. Thank you. Morning all, my name is Peter Estes. I'm a District 8 resident here with Senior and Disability Action, as well as the 100 plus organizations that have signed on to protect remote public comment for all without barriers and the dozens of people who spoke at the previous hearing on this topic. I wanna start by emphasizing that I, I am truly sympathetic with the hours committed by you all as supervisors and by the many public servants, the numerous public servants behind the scenes and I'm really grateful to you all for your work. Today, I'm here to ask you though, to continue to firmly lead on those commitments and ensure that we preserve the gains we have made in access to our city's democracy for the many people who for myriad reasons have difficulty attending city hall meetings in person. The Department of Technology has found a way to offer public comment that will not in, uh, involve additional funding or staffing. So let's pursue that and continue to make our city hall more open to our city's people. Thank you. Thank you. There being no further in-person, oh, my apologies, we have one more. Good morning, supervisors. Jessica Lehman with Senior and Disability Action. Thank you so much for really taking the time to carefully consider this issue. As a disabled person, there are a thousand reasons it can be hard to come in person. Maybe my attendant is late to get me out of bed, or the Civic Center BART elevator is out of service as it has been for the past two weeks, or my wheelchair might short circuit in the rain. And COVID is still very much here. I'm risking my health and people I care about in coming in person. Disabled people are always set aside. We always have a separate process. We need to be seen and treated as full and equal members of society. And that means keeping public comment open for everyone and not asking people to set themselves aside with a reasonable accommodations process. We also have parents and teachers who are responsible for kids, people working two jobs with no time off to come to City Hall, youth in the Bayview or the Excelsior who don't have time to get here on the bus with delays. These are the most marginalized people, people we need to hear from in government meetings. And occasionally a meeting will run long. It is very occasional that a meeting runs very long. And it's the price we pay for democracy, 
for a city where we talk about wanting to encourage people to have their voices heard. Please send the right message to our communities that we want to hear from people. Please vote for unlimited public comment. Thank you. Seeing no other parties in the chamber for public comment on this matter, we can move to our remote line where we have 27 listeners and 16 people in line for public comment. Can we have our first caller? Good morning, Chair and Committee members. Eliana Binder, Policy Associate for Glide and District 8 resident. The organization is in strong opposition to this motion. Discontinuing remote public comment for everyone except for people with recognized disabilities would be an unacceptable obstacle to community participation in democracy. It is tantamount to systemic marginalization and discounts the experience of your constituents. Remote public comment has made it possible for some community members to participate in meetings for the first time, and it should be allowed for all rather than only as a reasonable accommodation. Government should desire and encourage more participation from constituents, not less, and be looking at ways to promote equity and inclusion and remove barriers to access. Working people, parents, and people with immunocompromised household members all have legitimate reasons that make it difficult for them to come to City Hall in the middle of a weekday, including work schedules, transportation challenges, childcare responsibilities, and risk of exposure to COVID-19. Glide serves many of these populations, and it is already difficult for them to call in for public comment, but it is nearly impossible for some of them to come in person. Glide also serves people who are impacted by the criminal legal system who may feel intimidated to come and speak in person when members of law enforcement are present. Glide also works with survivors of domestic violence, and they deserve a safe, secure, and private way to engage in meetings. During a time when we need to increase connections and trust in government, ending remote public comment will only widen the divide between the community and its elected leaders. Eliminating this avenue to participate in our government would effectively shut down the voices of those who are unable to participate in person at City Hall. We respectfully request a no vote on this motion. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Good morning, Joe Kunzler here. Um, I'm an open government advocate, um, and I've sent you emails of my concern. Uh, Chair Dorsey, so I'm going to get to the point. Um, I really worry about this bill. You've already heard from Jessica of disability action about potential segregation here. Um, I, I think until you have a plan how this geofencing is going to work, how this, uh, how who qualifies with a disability and who doesn't and what disabilities qualify and don't, you might want to shelve this. Um, I, I just think that, you know, there's this thing, and I'm, I'm on the autistic spectrum, I have Asperger's syndrome, so I've had to get very familiar with the phrase, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I think this motion is definitely on the road to hell, um, with a lot of quality good intentions paving. I did read in your presentation that you have additional time-limited remote public comment for members of the public not requesting an accommodation. Uh, 
I think that might be a better fix. Just go with that. Just say, everybody, listen, we're only going to have 30 minutes for remote public comment, and uh, it's first come, first serve. I think that's a more equitable solution for the outcomes you seek. I want to thank you, as always, for your public service. And in case Professor Stephanie's in the audience, thank you for your courage on fighting gun violence. Thank you for all you're doing. Thanks. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Um, hi, this is Patricia Eric. I'm a retired teacher at City College. Uh, there's a strong stench of hypocrisy uh, about this particular issue. Uh, during the pandemic, we closed roads. We allowed remote uh, access. Uh, you voted to keep all these roads closed, but now you want to take away remote access from the people who pay your salaries. There is abuse. I suggest you go after the abusers of the, of the remote access. Don't take away the voice of the people. You have a 12% approval rating at la the last time it, it's been calculated. This will only further erode the respect that the voters have for you. This policy will hurt the most vulnerable people that live in the Southwest and the Southeast sections, the people in Knob Hill, Rushton Hill, uh, the central areas, the elite high income people, they can easily get to your chambers, but not the people in the Southeast or the Southwest. It's too far, it's too difficult, uh, Uber's too expensive, and uh, it's just really a bad policy. And uh, I recommend strongly that you allow the voice of the people to continue with remote access. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Oh, yeah, good morning. This is Patrick. Can you hear me? My apologies, I didn't. Hello. Uh, we do hear you. Please proceed. Mr. Manette Shaw, uh, you can proceed. Okay, he dropped off the line. We will get him back on the line when he calls back in. Uh, can we have our next caller? Am I the next caller? Yes, sir, you are. Please proceed. My name is Nicholas Pasquariello. I'm a journalist, a filmmaker, and a tenant activist. This measure is the most disheartening one I've ever come before, that's ever come before the Board of Supervisors in my 40 years of living in San Francisco. You must continue full public telephone access to all meetings of every governmental body in San Francisco. Please don't uh, make yourself out to be more hypocrites than some people think you already are. Um, I have had more trouble reaching my representatives in government for the last three years than ever before. This is another um, attempt to cut off public access to government, and you must reject it. You must keep all public access to telephone, 
service and uh, open to everyone. Don't set special special conditions. You have an obligation to serve the people of San Francisco, and that's what I we all expect you to do. There are threats that if you don't go ahead and stop this measure, we will go to the ballot box to do it ourselves. Good luck. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Hi. Um, I'm speaking for Judy Gorski, who is unable to uh, phone in today because she had a medical appointment. Uh, Judy lives in the far southwest part of San Francisco in the outer sunset, and she writes, with sporadic and unsafe public transportation options, getting to City Hall for me would necessitate driving my car and paying unaffordable parking fees. Whether I drove or bust, it would be at least an hour each way. On my block, way at the edge of town on the west side, there are at least eight to 10 seniors with various health conditions who would not be able to participate in denied remote access. Please allow remote access to all government meetings to continue. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Hello? Hi, we hear you. Please proceed. Uh, we did have a hearing on this, and a lot of people called in. And I don't think so. We have to beg y'all to do the right thing. A segment of our population, especially those in wheelchairs and those who have mobility problems, can express what they want to express by using the telephone. So I don't think so. You'll need to be told again and again that the voice of the people is important. Do the right thing. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Uh, good morning, David Pilpel. I assume that you can hear me okay. Uh, I spoke on this uh, three weeks ago, the last time uh, it was at this uh, committee uh, to summarize briefly and update my comments. I think there are existing ways in law, policy, and practice to limit public comment when necessary. I think this motion is unnecessary at this time. I would monitor the situation and revisit it as needed. I have not heard enough about the resources needed to continue conducting hybrid meetings at the Board of Supervisors or elsewhere. I understood that there was going to be a presentation from the City Administrator's Office. It's posted on the website, but we haven't seen uh, that presentation before the committee uh, yet. Um, in any event, I would continue this item to the call of the chair here in committee. 
I would not forward this to the uh, full board with or without recommendation, um, and I'm available to discuss this issue at any time. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Yes, hello. This is Peter Warfield, head of Library Users Association. Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com and PO Box 170544, San Francisco, California, 94117-0544. I certainly agree very much with pretty much every prior speaker. Please reject this measure and enable public comment to be made remotely, as you're doing now by telephone or by other means, but especially by phones, which pretty much everybody has access to more so even than computers. Uh, as somebody who cares a great deal about libraries and library service, especially in San Francisco, um, I've got information very often that's little known or unknown, uh, and which I have presented to the supervisors in public comment uh, on quite a number of occasions. The cost, however, of doing so in person is often very much uh, higher than can be, uh, than is possible for a variety of reasons, including other work, other related work, and finding out things, doing research, uh, attending other meetings, and so on and so forth. Um, one of the things that's terrific about having broader public comment is that we can all in San Francisco and elsewhere hear and understand who else is concerned and interested in particular issues or particular positions that we're interested in as well. And that's the nature of a public meeting. Uh, that's what one of the things that's a benefit of being able to hear what everybody thinks. You might consider to improve public access starting your meetings in the evening as a East Bay City does at 7 p.m., among other things. But in this case, please reject this measure. Thank you very much. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Hi, good afternoon or good morning, Supervisors. President Hessen, thank you so much for having me um, and uh, having me speak upon this particular issue. Um, this particular issue is definitely important for someone like me who has approximately six children across San Francisco. They go to school. I am doing court at a particular time, work, extracurricular activities, and pulling out from under the rug my rights and my, um, and my sustainment of being allowed it to being on this line, to being um, heard is how our supervisors got to sit in those very chairs. Please do not circumvent the public. Please do not circumvent our rights. Please hear us and hear that we need to be in these rooms on these lines. And while, yes, I can understand that it does deliberately make extra work, but that extra work got you into these positions. So I would like to stand firm on that and know that you guys are being watched by us as voters, us as disabled people, us as seniors, us as working classes, as indigenous, people of color, people that want our voices heard in our communities. 
you are not going to be making decisions for us. We will be aiding you in that voice that we need to be heard from. Thank you, and I appreciate your time. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Hello, supervisors. My name is Shiva Bandiva. I'm a District 6 resident, a public policy manager at HomeRise, which is a supportive housing provider in our city. I'm calling to, today to strongly oppose this legislation because it will silence uh, community voices that are not able to make it into this room. As leaders of this city, you claim to stand for justice and equality. You invite us to share with you the barriers we face, and here we are asking you to stand in community with us and oppose this piece of legislation, yet it is hard to believe your word will lead to action today. Please know that by eliminating remote public comment, you are erasing the voices of our BIPOC communities, our working class family members, our seniors, and people living with disabilities. Other Bay Area commissions and boards are keeping remote public comment by phone and virtually even expanding the need for ASL interpretation. Yet in San Francisco, you are saying that these reasonable accommodations are not permitted for those who are not privileged, privileged enough to make it to these chambers. It is within our rights as people of San Francisco to participate in civic engagement opportunities. Please reconsider this policy change and keep remote public comment as an option for those who need it, those who deserve it, and those who depend on it. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Good morning, Supervisors and uh, President Supervisor. My name is Dale Seymour. Uh, I'm one of the chairs of the local homeless board. It's important to me that this does not go because a lot of people that need to come to the local homeless coordinating board meeting and that's how unhoused people with bags and bags of stuff that they bring cannot easily get into City Hall. And since COVID, we've established places around the Tenderloin where people can come, our unhoused people come and listen to the meeting and find out what's really going on with their life. The reasons why I think this, this, this motion is going is because, yeah, the public com com comment can get very elongated. I've been at City Hall till 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, 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 several years ago. So I know there could be a hundred or so callers. So if there are a hundred or so callers, this is the issue we really need to deal with. You know, going to that metal detector for unhoused people is pretty traumatic. And it's intimidating, especially if you're just as involved. Members of your board right here have had trouble getting through that metal, metal detector. So think about my folks trying to get through. We play ourselves at the tech center of the world, yet San Francisco is going backwards right now. Some people have said, there was an article in the Chronicle the other day, that the people that call in are just people that's bored and have nothing else to do. I call in frequently, as you know. I am not bored, and I run three organizations, so I damn sure don't have nothing else to do. You need to be able to listen to everyone in the city. Let's have some democracy. Let's put this measure in the garbage can where it belongs. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Hello, Supervisors. My name is Lisa, and I'm a District 3 resident and a senior community organizer at Chinatown Community Development Center. Our community members, especially our single-room occupancies, work really hard in order to provide for their families. They can't take time off from their day jobs when most of the meetings are held, but they can always call in and also speak for a couple of minutes when their turn comes. 
Remote public comment has provided opportunities for our families to be able to participate in Board of Supervisor hearings, commission meetings, and also public events. Please keep remote public comment option to ensure that people like our SRO families can share their experiences, insight, and knowledge on housing, transportation, health, racial equity, and also other issues that affect them directly. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have our next caller, please? Good day, Supervisors. I'm Anastasia Yovanopoulos, a District 8 senior. Supervisor Mandelman's proposed legislation to restrict public comment to in-person public comment would stifle the voices of members of the public and is therefore unfair and undemocratic. I'm opposed to any limitation of remote public access to meetings of the board and its committees or to any meetings of other San Francisco governmental commissions committees, including regional bodies that the supervisors may serve on. The pandemic brought us suffering, but it also brought us innovation that improved our democratic process. I'm a senior San Francisco resident in my mid-70s, and it's now hard for me to come to City Hall to deliver my public comment. I appreciate the ability to call into the, to the Board of Supervisors and Commissions to give public comment. Let's preserve and expand participation for seniors, people with disabilities, working people, parents, and everyone. We now know that remote participation is possible. Every meeting must continue to have the option. And requiring the disabled to publicly declare their disability to be able to testify remotely is reprehensible and should not be codified into city policy. I am asking you not to limit public comment to those physically present in the board and commission chambers or to unfairly call attention to disabled people. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Good morning, supervisors. My name is Rhea Small. I'm with Senior and Disability Action. And like everyone else who's spoken, I'm strongly opposed to Mandelman's measure to limit or end remote public comment. This will hurt disabled people, seniors, parents, people in neighborhoods far from City Hall, working people, and honestly, the vast majority of San Franciscans. Disabled people already face so many administrative burdens on our lives just to get health care, to find work, to get accommodations, to get benefits. And just adding another one to participate in city government is really appalling. Right now, I'm at home with a migraine headache, and I'm unable to look at screens for more than a few minutes at a time. And if I had to get an accommodation so I could call into this meeting right now, I wouldn't have been able to do it. There's so many people with disabilities and health conditions that don't have a doctor's note, that aren't able to go through an extra hoop, and honestly, even people who aren't disabled have a right to participate in meetings remotely. People have spoken about all the many reasons why people aren't physically able to get to City Hall. And I hope that you listen to our communities and the people who are asking you to keep unlimited remote public comment because it's not just a perfunctory thing for government to have. It's one of our vital civil rights. And we're still in a pandemic and many people are still dying of COVID every day and unable or unwilling to risk going into a crowded setting with no mask requirement like City Hall. Please keep unlimited remote public comment. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? 
Good afternoon, Supervisors. Uh, George Wooding, Coalition for San Francisco Neighborhoods. I want to thank all the other speakers for their wise testimony, and I hope you listen to what you're saying. Um, they're saying, I also am in a wheelchair. And for the two minutes it would take me to talk to you, it may take me three, four hours to get from D7 over half normal traffic to get to your facility. So I have to either take paratransit, which is not working very well for me, or I have to take a Uber. Many times the Uber will come up and say, "Oh, you're in a wheelchair. I I can't I can't take you and leave me." The worst part would be um, when I come to testify. If your meeting goes too long, I have to go back down and leave your meeting. So paratransit will pick me up. So for all these reasons, I think it's very good that you keep your uh, the ability for others to listen in, the citizenry to listen in. It's called good governance, and it should be something that uh, um, Raphael Mendelman should know about since he uh, oversees paratransit through the SF uh, MTC. So anyhow, uh, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Can we have our next caller, please? Hello, my name is Art Persico, SF Great Panthers board member and D2 resident. Rules Committee members, please vote no on this proposal to discontinue remote public comment. San Francisco, like any government, can benefit from the feedback it gets from its residents if it listens. Shouldn't we do everything we can to optimize that? SF residents who, for various legitimate reasons, cannot appear in person at SF Board of Supervisors and committee meetings, or who would find it very difficult to do so, should not have fewer rights than other San Franciscans who are more affluent, privileged, or, or well-connected when it comes to providing ideas and feedback to our city government. San Franciscans should not have limits on our ability to keep you, our leaders, accountable to us, the public. The pandemic has given us new insights on longstanding problems, and in this, this case, it's given us a wonderful civic opportunity to improve public access to our leaders and allow our government the opportunity to be even more open and responsive to the broadest possible spectrum of individual and con individuals and constituencies in San Francisco. Remote public access is an innovation that came out of the pandemic and should be preserved. You and the rest of the SF Board of Supervisors should act in the best interest of the public writ large. You should not allow well-connected insiders to compound their advantage over average San Franciscans who face circumstances that limit their ability to come to City Hall in person. You who represent the public should not give in to pressure to spend less time listening to members of the public because it may be time-consuming or burdensome. It's your job, if you do it well, to listen to, the, to a spectrum of views in San Francisco. You should not make it harder for public engagement in the City Hall for those of us who already have, are less privileged than others. Don't take steps to reduce public accountability. Stand up for democracy. Stand up for the public interest. Stand up for the best possible San Francisco. Vote no on this proposal to discontinue remote public comment. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have our next caller?
Good morning, Rules Committee members. Joseph Smook of People Power Media and the Race and Equity in All Planning Coalition, a coalition of nearly 40 organizations throughout San Francisco. It's critical that the Rules Committee reject this attempt to limit public comment. This is unfortunately part of a broader attempt to limit democratic participation, including streamlining of market rate luxury developments, which means eliminating the opportunity for our community to leverage our voice for greater affordable housing and greater equity in development. These efforts to limit democracy, to silence the voices of the public are most damaging to our low income and communities of color. Your meetings take place in City Hall, not in our communities. As you've been hearing from previous callers, your meetings take place during hours and most people who are most impacted by the decisions you're making are working. If they have time to take a break to participate, that break doesn't include taking time to travel to City Hall and travel back to work. I worked in City Hall as a legislative aide. Public comment often is the most important time for aides and for legislators, boards, and commissions to learn what the real impacts will be on the communities we most care about by the decisions we make. Accessibility of public comment is essential for our democracy and essential for the goals of racial, social, and economic equity. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Good morning, Supervisors. Beverly Epton from the San Francisco Domestic Violence Consortium. I was so honored to speak a few weeks ago about how remote access will serve survivors of domestic violence and gender-based violence across the city. It will give them a safe place and a way to have a voice in um, city government um, and a way to talk about their experience and raise San Francisco's awareness. This week, I just want to disclosed that I tested positive for COVID for the first time last week, last Tuesday, and this remote access is allowing me to do my job this week. So I just really want to thank you for keeping San Francisco accessible, for keeping uh, City Hall accessible, uh, and allowing us to uh, have our voice. And for me, I appreciate being able to do my job remotely this week. Thank you so much. I hope you'll do the right thing. Take care, supervisors. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Hello. Um, I just need to step out of the lab because I, too, am at work right now. My name is Leah McGeever, and I'm calling in, okay, to uh, urge you to vote no um, on this Mandelman's proposal to limit, um, or basically, effectively um, get rid of public comment. Um, we can't all make appointments with our supervisors, um, like Bureau SF does, or whatever it is other people with power and money do in San Francisco to get their voices heard. Um, public comment is a way for the average person <laughs> to uh, let you know what we're thinking. Um, it is also your job to listen to us because we do represent us and we do vote for you. Um, something that I think about with public comment when it comes to the complaints supervisors have about how wild and long it can get is this episode of Parks and Rec, uh, starring Amy Poehler, where they have like a crazy public comment session and she just hates it, she's overwhelmed by it. And this newcomer, Scott Wyatt, <laughs> he sees it all and he says he's never seen such community engagement before and he's really impressed by it and it just shows that the community cares. And so anyone who is also like Leslie in this situation just hating public comment, 
um, just remember that it's because we care and we want you to care too. So please listen to us and don't get rid of it. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Good morning, supervisors. I am Richard Nee, a freelance journalist, long active with a number of organizations that advertise for government, that, that advocate for government transparency and freedom of expression. Those organizations include the Society of Professional Journalists, the First Amendment Coalition, Californians Aware, San Franciscans for Sunshine, and the Pacific Media Workers Guild, Local 3, CWA, Local 39521. Because of caregiving responsibilities, I cannot be away from home for overlong time stretches, which is why I am addressing you now by phone rather than in person. It's safe to say that I am not unique in that circumstance. There are many, many people with health or mobility issues or with uh, family, work, or other responsibilities that similarly dictate they speak remotely to the city's policy-making bodies. Please keep this important option open to us. However well-intended the proposal to discontinue remote public comment might be, it flouts the principle of participatory democracy. I repeat, it flouts the principle of participatory democracy. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Good morning, Supervisors. This is Debbie Lerman at the San Francisco Human Services Network opposing this motion. The Sunshine Ordinance already allows the board to limit the time allocated for public testimony and for individual speakers. So there is no reason to adopt any legislation with hard limits. However, we also hope that this discretion will be used wisely and not used to limit speech on controversial issues or to make comments so short that people can't meaningfully express their reasoning and recommendations on particular legislation. Also, your decisions will affect not only the board, but other public commissions and boards. I wanna note that there are many public bodies that are not on SFGovTV that for the past three years have been required to create a mechanism for public access and uh, remote connection and comment. Removal of that will put those bodies back behind closed doors for anybody unable to attend in person. Now that we know it's possible to provide sunshine and transparency at, for everybody at relatively low cost through internet access, we urge the board to require public accessibility for all public bodies. Another point is that remote comment allows anonymous comment by people that may have reason to be fearful of attending and identifying themselves publicly, such as undocumented immigrants, domestic violence survivors, or even those with unpopular positions. And lastly, we have a cold, flu, and COVID going around, and many people choose not to expose the board, staff, and members of the public when we're sick. After what we've been through with COVID, I hope we've learned our lesson about encouraging people to stay home. Please vote no today. Thank you. Thank you. 
Can we have our next caller? Uh, hi, this is Leilani. I'm a San Francisco native, and I'm really just proud listening to all the San Franciscans call in today to advocate that we have access to public comment. It is very disturbing to hear a representative tell us they want to limit public comment because they don't have enough resources or that they're pitting different types of San Franciscans against each other based on our abilities. Any supervisor who does that is not, in, not serving in the best interest of all of San Francisco. It really makes me sad to hear that they want to use financial reasons or to state that we talk too long. If you don't like what we're saying, please resign. We don't need you to advocate for us. I understand that the comments might be long, but I like listening to San Franciscans, regardless of what our opinions are. This is our home. This is very unfortunate that today this is what you're spending your time on when we need to be talking about homeless um, access to housing and um, discussing um, the betterments of our neighborhoods and to find out that a supervisor thinks that our comments are too long is very disturbing. I'm gonna release my time to the rest of the other San Franciscans, and I'm really proud of you all today for standing up for us. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have our next caller, please? Yes, this is Patrick Manapshaw. I just noticed that the deputy city uh, administrator posted a presentation today and the um, uh, file indicates the uh, uh, presentation was created today. It says that the city will reevaluate implementing uh, ending remote public comment you should table this motion until the city administrator's evaluation is completed. Um, additionally, supervisor Fafaye, who sits on uh, the city retirees board of trustees, stated on February 16th that the citywide economic recovery working group wants to assist revitalizing the downtown core and civic center area. But this is a terrible reason to discontinue taking remote public comment. Also, the legislation as written on page three says that you still have to request remote um, reasonable accommodations within a 72-hour period. So clearly, this legislation needs an amendment to shorten that 72-hour requirement to ask to uh, have a reasonable accommodation to call in. You should table this motion today, and when it gets to the full Board of Supervisors, you should all reject it. It is... Uh, inconceivable that you would. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? 
this is Edward M. of uh, District 8, and uh, I oppose this uh, measure. About 20 years ago, I suspended my public participation for more than five years while I provided 24-hour home care for my mother. Technology now enables critical public participation. Essential remote access continues and not be uh, suppressing public participation. Funding must be disclosed, and so I recommend that this measure be rejected. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Hi, this is Roisin Eisner of the San Francisco Tenants Union. On behalf of our more than 30,000 members, I encourage you to vote no on Supervisor Mandelman's proposal. Uh, right now, the city and county of San Francisco has oversight boards that are still meeting remotely in order to convenience appointees. So this proposal is deeply inappropriate. Uh, I don't think it was Supervisor Mandelman's intent to create a double standard that disadvantages people with disabilities, working people, and people with inactable transit access like myself who lives in District 10, um, but those would be the consequences of this proposal. Please vote no. Thank you so much for your time. Can we have our next caller, please? Hi, uh, my name is Curtis Wu calling and just want to echo a lot of the st statements uh, already made about um, keeping remote public comment. Um, I just want to say, I think this whole thing is really a complete waste of time, which is ironic because I think one of the main reasons for this is to quote unquote save time. But I say this because how many times does an eight hour plus public comment happen a year? Six times, maybe seven times. Um, it seems like the length of meetings are about the same and you're spending so much time on a policy for something that doesn't happen that often. Um, if after remote public comment, we saw meetings and public comment being 10, 20, 30% longer, I would say you have a point. I also find it somewhat problematic that we're making public comment before there's any discussion about maybe potential amendments. I think a proposal that is probably going to come out of this is limiting the total time of public comment, which, you know, I'm not totally against, but again, this only happens not that many times a year. It happened the same pre-pandemic. There are people showing up for medicinal cannabis um, meetings, affordable housing for eight hours. So again, this seems like a solution that's not really trying to solve anything um, for something that only happens a few times a year. So for that, please um, do not support this policy. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Uh, this is Sue Hester. I have a different perspective. My perspective is a pers from a person who attended a lot of meetings at City Hall and now I'm at home watching them online. There needs to be some, the Board of Supervisors Committee staff has been well trained. That is not the case for other commissions. So I would ask the Board of Supervisors to insist on training, giving training to how you conduct hearings and solicit public comments to other commissions because they are hit and miss. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. And the bad ones really have long meetings because people stumble across, am I, am I online? It's one of the things that is asked all the time. I am disabled and I'm a senior citizen. And I literally used to come to City Hall every week in the past decades. 
but I would encourage the Board of Supervisors to give, Clerk of the Board of Supervisors to give training to other Commission Secretaries because it really is a hit or miss. And I, one of the things that you can see right now, you can see the room. SFGov TV doesn't always see, enable people that are watching to see the room. And you have to have a TV to do, to do comments. Thank you very much. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Hi, this is Tess Wellborn, District 5. Please continue telephone access for all government meetings. It's been a real boon to all kinds of people. So many people have were unable to attend because of working hours, and now we find out how many other people have been pushed out of, of the public process. But during this COVID emergency, we found ways to accommodate, and we need to expand the ways to accommodate not limit them. Uh, also, I would point out that this is a legislation based on um, anecdote, and if you're going to make a rule about something like this, you need at least six months of data showing about the length of public meetings and public comment, not just some kind of hearsay or a single example or two. Um, Yes, there's different ways to accommodate our comments, but um, and yes, we can meet with the supervisor, yes, we can send letters, but you know what? We want to hear and see the discussion that goes on at the board. We want to hear the reports and see them. We want to see each other, and we want to hear each other. So please, continue. Um, I would say vote no on this item, or at least continue it until there's some hard data about the real facts and the cost of democracy is never going to be cheap, but it's really so valuable that we have this access, both on telephone, on video, and in person. Thank you. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Good morning. Um, my name is Karen Fishkin. Um, I lived in San Francisco for about 55 years now, and all of that time I've been in District 5. I don't usually ask to speak unless I have something new to add. Uh, I don't have anything new to add today, but I think there's been incredible food for has been presented to you about not just one or two groups of people who would have their voices lost, not for remote participation, but a number of different groups uh, who are your voters out here in the community. So I, I hope you have been listening. I hope you have uh, also had your imagination stimulated by some of what you've heard today and that you will go away and think about this. Uh, hopefully you won't have to. Hopefully it will just be voted down. But I, I think it's well worth intense conversation because it's really a huge move. So thank you for your time. Thank you. That was our last uh, telephone caller. However, I believe we do have uh, some additional in-person public commenters who have not spoke yet. Do we have people in here? 
Yes, if you can line up to speak at this time. If you have not spoke yet, and you'd okay. like to make public comment. Sure. Are we, I don't think we close remote. So we're it's closing me. remote public comment then. Uh, remote public comment is is closed. closed. Or we have we've gone through all our callers. Great. Remote public comment is closed. We'll resume. It's closed. Remote. Okay. But, uh, sir, you can sir, speak. You're, you're, uh, sir, you're welcome to speak. Can I still speak? Yes. Sure. Okay. So, guys, I really want you to understand something about this remote. These people are seeing you. And you got to remember, you work for them. And if you want to get their pretty face on TV so they can see how smart you are and how good looking you are. This is the way to do it because I wouldn't even know who you guys were if it wasn't for this. And you sure as hell don't want me in your office every day whining and crying like I do. Okay. So this is the best way. And you know, also San Francisco's the pulse of the world guys. You should know that by now. It really is. And these voices that you're hearing, you know, they're the blood. And you're the pulse and you guys need to start getting used to hearing these people because I'm going to start making a ruckus pretty soon that you guys are going to be hearing a lot about because um, our city's about to go through some crap. And you know it as well as I do because this dirty bomb thing over here with the, uh, the radiation stuff, you guys don't even have a clue, do you, what that really is? Somebody dropped a dirty bomb in San Francisco, a nuclear dirty bomb called ships that they tore up and they sanded and they grinded and they burnt and then they recycled the metal. You know how much plutonium is in this city right now? Do you know it only takes a little microscopic piece of plutonium to kill you? Microscopic, you won't even have to see it. It's almost so deadly, there's nothing more deadlier than that. And a lot of you guys probably own property out there. Let me tell you something. What you ought to do is realize we got some bad things going on, and these voices you're hearing are the people you need to listen to right now because they're crying to you. They're hurting. You can hear them. You can hear it in their voices, guys. I swear I must have heard seven or eight people almost brought to tears. And I know I was a couple of times talking to you. I mean, serious, guys, it's getting bad. I spent the last 10 days out here on the streets just looking at the fentanyl problem. And, guys, we better wake up. Thank you. Great. Hello, thank you. My name is Belinda Dobbs, and I'm a tenant organizer here in the Tenderloin at one of the SRO hotels. And the for us to be able to get access to the meetings that you guys have is very important and just to for me to introduce it to tenants and i'm new to it myself it's important for us to be able to understand and be involved so please keep it open chair dorsey we had two callers uh jump on the line as we were closing public comment would be okay we uh, open it up for those two callers sure thanks and we have our next caller Good morning, supervisors. Due to technical stuff, I, I don't know what. Anyway, my name is Evelyn Posmentier. 
I'm a senior and a person living with multiple sclerosis, which is unpredictable, yet I am speaking on behalf of all San Franciscans, not only my disabled community. Have the 72-hour advance request for a reasonable accommodation, as the agenda <coughs> notes, to virtually attend public meetings to, to, the, uh, to the meeting this morning, I and most people listening would not be here as I learned about it only late Friday afternoon. So I would not have made the three-day um, uh, prior to the co uh, meeting comment. Also, think much has been made of the cost, the staff time involved. Think of the staff and costs involved with screening all the requests for accommodation. The proposed required 72-hour advance request has only been made at the gunpoint of the ADA. Otherwise, no one would be granted remote access. Today, I would not be able to be there without it. The idea that remote access will be canceled is terrifying. Broadband is here and has opened participatory democracy such as never before. There is no going back. Open remote comment to city government has allowed me to be involved in civic affairs as never before. Even the Ethics Commission has spoken to this point. Essentially, eliminating remote public comment would sever access to civic engagement. Let's not close the door on democracy, please. Thank you for listening to me calling. Thank you. Bye. Uh, next caller, please. Hi, my name is Sana. I'm calling from San Francisco Rising. Um, obviously, from today, it's clear that remote public comment is an important way for people to participate in our local democracy. So I'm calling um, to urge you to please keep remote public comment. Our alliance represents working class people of color in San Francisco, and marginalized people don't always have the time to come in person and give public comment. A lot of working class people and people of color are working multiple jobs, um, many of those are not remote where they can't, you know, work from home or have flexible hours and they can't come in person to City Hall. Also, folks are, you know, taking care of children, they can't afford childcare or taking care of other loved ones, and coming in person is just not realistic for them. So, um, just calling on you to please allow for our communities to continue to be civically engaged by allowing them to make uh, public comment remotely and keeping this important um, access for them. Thank you so much. Okay, we have our last caller as our next caller, and then we can close um, public comment. Hello, I'm Alice, an active member of Senior and Disability Action, an organization with many senior and disabled San Francisco residents. I support the many, many public comments that are urging continuing remote public testimony all both at this meeting and at the earlier meeting on this issue. Um, and um, it's also so important to note that very, very few people have testified in favor of this discriminatory policy to limit uh, public participation. Uh, being able to give remote public testimony is so crucial so we can hear each other, as another caller mentioned, uh, and have an opportunity for a meaningful public voice in our local government. Uh, people can, you know, supervisors cannot read uh, written comments, but 
you at least have to hear what we say. Um, people shouldn't be barred from public participation because of their work schedules, caregiving responsibilities, not being able to risk COVID at these mask optional hearings, not wanting to risk COVID, which is completely valid, or um, many, many other important reasons, which so many of the speakers have testified to, why people either cannot give in-person testimony, public testimony or it would be very difficult for them. Um, in my remaining time, I will just focus on one issue, uh, COVID hazards from attending mask optional meetings and traveling to these meetings on mass public transit, as many of us who do not have cars like myself would be forced to do. Um, unfortunately, one-way masking, even with an N95, you think doesn't fit you well, does not sufficiently protect you from COVID. You can read summaries of supporting research in the February 15th, uh, 2020. 2022 Slate article titled, quote, Why One-Way Masking Isn't a Very Good Public Health Solution, and the April 29th, uh, 2022 CMAG News article titled, quote, Is One-Way Masking uh, Enough, end quote. Uh, and CMAG Speaker News writes it's published. Uh, that concludes public comment. Great. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Public comment is now closed. And um, Assistant uh, Deputy City Administrator Jennifer Johnson is here, and I know she has a presentation on some of the issues uh, around public comment, so I'd like to invite you, Ms. Johnson. Thank you, Chair Dorsey. Thank you, Supervisors. Uh, Jennifer Johnston, Deputy City Administrator, and I do have Sophie Hayward, uh, who is the Director of uh, Legislative and Public Affairs for our office, who is um, doing the slides for me. So uh, thank you to Sophie, thank you. <clears throat> so last week, City Administrator Chu issued on behalf of the mayor's office guidelines for city policy bodies in advance of the return, full return of all uh, in-person meetings um, by city policy bodies beginning March 1st. The guidelines apply to the 130 or so, more than that, um, city policy bodies. Of course, they do not apply to the Board of Supervisors or your subcommittees. <clears throat> this is solely for uh, city policy bodies. Uh, and additionally, we, we distributed uh, a, a number, almost a dozen of resource materials and information documents for their uh, assistance, technical assistance, information from the mayor's office on disability, on ADA requirements, information from OSEA on language access requirements, et cetera. So we wanted to make sure they were well resourced as they were moving into uh, this next phase of the return of in-person meetings. Um, you can go ahead and next slide, please, Sophie. Thank you. So remote uh, attendance and participation is generally must be allowed as a reasonable modification for members of the public who are unable to provide public comment in person due to a disability under the ADA. We are very clear in the guidelines that the ADA or the administrative code requires that modifications be provided quickly, easily, and with minimum burden to the person with a disability. And that means that a wide, uh, we are advising that a, a wide uh, margin of latitude and deference be given to individuals who are requesting um, access for remote participation due to disability. Um, it also means that we are advising that, it, that our city policy body should um, accommodate requests even up to the day of the meeting if possible, um, so that you know, we are able to accommodate late requests. Uh, in addition to that, we are advising city policy bodies to set up their meetings in hybrid, hybrid format by default enabled, to enable them to uh, accommodate those late requests. 
uh, so that will continue. Um, next slide, please, Sophie. Um, however, additionally, although it's not required by state or local public meeting laws, we have also advised city policy bodies to provide additional time-limited remote public comment for members of the public who are not requesting an accommodation under the ADA. So this additional time-limited allowance is intended to facilitate civic participation while also considering the administrative and staffing challenges, which are many, that uh, are associated with supporting uh, these meetings. <clears throat> um, some additional caveats and exceptions to these guidelines. Again, remote public comment for ADA accommodations requests cannot be time limited. Um, so uh, it is, we are advising that they accept all public comment from members of the public who are requesting it as a modification or accommodation for disability and then open it up for uh, general um, remote um, public participation, public comment and that that second portion be time limited <clears throat> in balancing those interests. Um, the other exception is that city policy bodies who are holding quasi-adjudicatory hearings regarding an appeal also not impose a time limit on the remote public comment um, allowance. Um, city policy bodies are required to uh, determine how much additional um, time-limited public comment they're going to allow and the notice and meeting agenda are to are required to include that information, including any deadlines that individuals have to meet before, you know, in order to request uh, to be able to participate remotely. <clears throat> um, and uh, city policy bodies are also advised to give consistent time for each agenda item um, as they determine in advance. Uh, I will say that the city will reevaluate the implementation of this guidance including any staffing or administrative challenges and make amendments as, net, as necessary. And of course, as the board considers its own resolution, guiding resolution on the matter, we'll continue to work the, with the board uh, to help align um, and improve citywide processes and policies. Uh, with, you today, or with me today is Nicole Bond, who's the director of the Mayor's Office on Disability, who could help answer any questions with respect to ADA requirements. I also have Jack Chin, who's the manager of SFGovTV, who could assist in providing any information you may have with respect to the technical requirements, limitations, and possibly some additional insight on the staffing challenges component of it. Thank you. Thank you. Ms. Johnston. I don't know if anybody else, if my colleagues have any questions or comments, I don't, I have thoughts on it. So I, um, thanks so much. Of course. It. So I do wanna, um, just to the larger issues, discuss um, and remind folks that, um, you know, even if we were to adopt uh, this motion as written, um, this isn't the end all be all of what public comment is in our city government or in a democracy. Um, the right to petition one's government for the redress of public grievances is a foundational right under our Constitution and the First Amendment. Um, it is reflected in our state constitution and in the city charter. Its origins go back to the Magna Carta. There are a multitude of ways um, that San Franciscans and others uh, can and do regularly petition us. Um, I take public comment uh, regularly, and I assume my colleagues do, at the supermarket and the coffee shop and... Um, I read it in my email on social media. 
Um, it's made, perhaps not every waking moment, but, but, uh, but many of them, and I think it's important to remember that there isn't a limitation on that. They, this people, you know, my colleagues and I do take calls and text messages and, and, and read on social media and emails, so I would encourage everyone to not, um, not, not see what happens here during a meeting um, as the end-all be-all of that. Um, second, I would say that how we manage public meetings is an obligation we owe to all those we serve, uh, including those who may not choose to take part in their democracy. Um, but they are also people we represent. Some of them pay taxes, but not all of them. But they're, they're, we have to be mindful that um, we have to have a building staffed and opened and make sure that SFGovTV is working. We have an equal duty of representation to everybody, including people who don't participate in our democracy. And then, as I said at the last meeting, we're also, you know, employers here. If this were only about the 11 of us as supervisors, you know, we know what we signed up for, but the reality is that there are sheriffs and, and deputy city attorneys and staff, and there's a lot that goes into this that I think we need to be um, sensitive to. A third point I would make is that I want to be sensitive that um, there are some people who may have an applicable disability, but who may, may not want to identify as having one. Um, and I'm sensitive to this because I'm HIV positive. The fact that I am open about that doesn't mean everyone is. And there may be a situation where I think a two-tiered a two system um, that we would make accommodations for people under certain circumstances because of some health conditions under the ADA um, may be uncomfortable. It, it may not be something that, uh, that is really the right thing to do. And fourth, I want to just speak to the legitimate concerns that animate the proposed motion as written, um, which seeks to ad address circumstances in which the instruments of our democracy can sometimes be misused or abused or even weaponized for anti-democratic purposes. Um, I will say this isn't, you know, as many folks know, I've spent most of my career in this building. Um, I have seen you know, public comment organized to, to make a meeting go on really long. I watched uh, just a couple of years ago, this police commission meeting was basically, you know, occupied for multiple, I think eight hours. It was on until three o'clock in the morning. Um, this was something that, what, what, what I thought about at that time was that this is taking a toll on the people we want to volunteer to be commissioners. You know, if they're looking at something where, oh my God, I've got to be at work in the morning and I, I, I don't know that I can do that. I think it's hurting our ability to have a participatory democracy. When systems are, are the, the instruments of our democracy are abused for vexatious purposes, um, it is ultimately anti-democratic. But having said that, I think the only thing worse than misusing the instruments of our democracy would be for the government to act to restrict those instruments um, to prevent a rare and, and uh, possible abuse, even though it's, I, and I know that it's rare, but it happens. But understand that, that um, what we are all grappling here with here as, po as policymakers isn't without uh, examples or precedent. This isn't hypothetical. This, this does sometimes happen, and I think that's what is animating the, uh, the motion. So I, what I will be doing is making, moving to amend the motion to preserve the status quo uh, regarding public comment by allowing it to continue, uh, not only as an accommodation for people, or not solely as an accommodation for people with disabilities, 
but to allow remote participation by those who cannot get to City Hall for any reason, irrespective of any um, disability they may have. Uh, moving forward, that would require an amendment to the board's rules of order. So the amendments I'm going to be introducing will uh, express the board's intention to amend those rules and make clear that remote public comment will continue to be allowed for all commenters pending adoption of changes to the rules of order. Um, and I'd like to now uh, recognize Vice Chair Walton. Thank you so much, Chair Dorsey. And I do want to thank everyone who came out today uh, to speak on behalf of this item and everyone who did call in. I do want to start off by saying that there is no such proposal that completely eliminates remote public comment. Uh, that is a misrepresentation for sure. I would never stand by any plan to eliminate completely remote public comment. I want everyone to have a voice and an opportunity for public comment. And I also want to make 100% sure that we provide accommodations for people with disabilities seniors, and anyone who may have difficulty showing up for public comment in person. And that's what the original motion that is before us intended to do. I do believe that abusives have existed from people outside of San Francisco, outside of the state of California, or even outside of the country. These amendments that are being proposed by Supervisor Dorsey do nothing to eliminate those abuses. Therefore, I cannot support them and I will continue to work to ensure remote public comment is still an option, but I can't support these, this amendment. Thank you, Vice Chair Welton and Supervisor Safai. Thank you, I just wanna say also thank you for everyone for coming out today and also for those that called in. Um, there's some that are saying, why are we spending time having this conversation? I think that that's also part of the democratic process. I think it's important to have and understand and get feedback um, and as Supervisor Dorsey said, um, to think that our job is limited to this room is, is a complete understatement in many ways. I can be at a birthday party, I can be at a church, I can be at a christening, I can be walking down the street, I can be in line at the supermarket and I will consistently be stopped and that's part of my job and I enjoy that about my job actually but I will be consistently stopped and asked to have a minute so I can be told what someone believes on a particular item. So remote public comment is an important part of an evolution of our democracy here. And I agree with Supervisor Walton that um, it is a misrepresentation to think that there's a conversation about completely eliminating it altogether because we are concerned about accommodating folks that, that truly need accommodation. So I also will not be supporting uh, th these amendments today, but believe the right thing to do is to send the original item out of the committee without recommendation and continue the conversation. Um, appreciate the feedback from the city administrator's office and, f and the work that they've done on this item along with our clerk uh, but truly believe that there still needs to be a little bit more of refinement around this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Supervisor Safai. <clears throat> so I suppose we could take, uh, there's a motion on the floor to adopt amendments, but I just wonder in light of the likelihood, maybe I can ask the procedurally, uh, Deputy City Attorney Pearson, 
Should we move, act on the motion? I think this is going to be, the motion is likely to fail, it sounds like. I, I think you have the option of withdrawing the motion or having the vote called on the motion. Okay. Um, I'll, why don't I with, withdraw the motion and the vote, I... Okay. Um, okay, I think what I will do then is um, make a motion to send this to the full board without recommendation. Uh, do you, uh, this was planned to be saw, a committee report? Yeah, so yes. I'm going to withdraw, so I'm withdrawing the motion to preserve the status quo. Um, we're going to, and send this, the, the existing motion as written, to the full board without recommendation. Yes, would you like that as a committee report or not? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, the motion is to refer the matter to the Board of Supervisors without recommendation as a committee report for tomorrow's Board of Supervisors meeting. On that motion, Supervisor Safai. Safai, aye. Vice Chair Walton. Aye. Walton, aye. Chair Dorsey. Aye. Dorsey, aye. The motion passes without objection. Thank you, Mr. Clerk goes unanimously to the board. And now, um, Mr. Clerk, would you please call item number four? Yes, item number four, it's an ordinance amending the administrative code and business and tax regulation code as required by Proposition C, adopted at the November 8, 2022 election related to homelessness oversight commissions and related city bodies. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, Supervisor Safai. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, as you recall, last week we approved the ordinance that Prop C required to stand up the Homeless Oversight Commission, and then we duplicated the file and continued it. Uh, today we're introducing amendments that are not required by Prop C, but also uh, are about good government. Um, these amendments will help the city better secure federal funds and streamline the bodies that report to these commissions. So the amendments clarify which departments staff the commission and its various committees and clean up reporting requirements. Um, and so since they were substantive, they had to be continued to today's item, uh, today's board hearing. Um, they've been distributed and we also have Emily Cohen here from the Department of Homeless Supportive Housing. Um, if she wanted to say a couple words to update, if she doesn't, um, essentially I think she said a lot on the record, but it might be helpful, uh, Ms. Cohen, if you wanted to through the chair if you wanted to just give a couple more words of update. Thank you, Chair and Supervisors. Um, just want to note that HSH worked very closely with Supervisor Safai's office to draft amendments that impact the scope and work of three advisory bodies that currently exist, the Local Homeless Coordinating Board, Shelter Monitoring Committee, and the Shelter Grievance Advisory Committee to ensure that they reported up to the commission and, and were appointed by the commission to create a more streamlined oversight structure for the department both to improve public access to those oversight and like much greater clarity to ensure that the work of those subcommittees were included in the commission's annual report and you know contemplated by the commission and to streamline staffing on the part of the department. So really appreciate um, the committee's consideration and the leadership of Supervisor Safai on this. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Cohen. And I would just say that there was 
Some of, the, some of the pushback, if there were any pushback from the public were, why are we creating another oversight body and how will that body help? And so I think this is what we intended to do, which was take some of the disparate bodies and bring them under the umbrella of the commission, along with some of the functions and staff functions, and that's been written into this uh, piece of legislation. So the, the entire intent was to really and truly um, target the work, but also have it be a body that was really effectual in having the disparate pieces come under one umbrella. So thank you to the department for the work on that. And we feel like this is, uh, this is a final, a good, another step forward. I don't want to say a final piece because there'll be, con there'll be more legislation that comes forward that we're working on. Um, but we think this is the right move in, in, in the direction after the voters spoke so loudly. So I hope I can have your support, colleagues. Thank you, <clears throat> Supervisor Safai. Um, seeing no other comment, I would just uh, commend um, Supervisor Safai for um, his leadership on this, uh, not just at this, at this committee, um, but um, just generally through the, throughout this process. And with that, um, Clerk, can we open public comment? Yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up to speak uh, at this time. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2495-608-1333, then press pound and pound again. Once connected, you will need to press star 3 to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue the way until the system indicates you've been unmuted, and that will be your cue to begin your comment. Can we have our first in-person commenter? Hi, uh, good morning or good afternoon. Jennifer Friedenbach from Coalition Homelessness. Um, thank you, Supervisor Safai and the rest of the Rules Committee for all your work on this. Um, I think it's going to be a really important step forward. <laughs> uh, I am here to talk about one piece of this that um, we do take exception to, and that's around moving the Shelter Monitoring Committee staff uh, from the Department of Public Health over to the Homeless Department. We really want them to remain in the Department of Public Health because we believe it uh, creates some more independence. That would not occur if the staffing was moved over to the Homeless Department. Shelter Monitoring Committee was developed after the Coalition on Homelessness did a survey uh, found really extensive abuse uh, that was occurring inside shelters. Um, a lot of pretty um, harsh things, trading sex for beds, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we've realized in this process that there was not any standards anywhere in the country for our shelters. And San Francisco was the first to develop standards. And the standards include things like having a pillow, a blanket, toilet paper. I mean, it used to be they'd throw some newspaper down, there wouldn't be water to wash your hands, and then you'd be sleeping, you know, a couple inches from somebody else's mouth on a mat on the floor. So these standards were really important from a health perspective and also from a dignity um, and safety perspective as well. Uh, right now, most of the work in following up on complaints is done by the Shelter Monitoring Committee staff. This is incredibly important uh, work that has to remain independent. In the past, we have been able to get reports out of that committee um, it did, uh, that created independent government documents um, that could then be used um, to fight for changes in the shelter system. We do not believe that level of independence 
um, that level of initiative that previously occurred in the sheltered monitoring committee would take place if the staff is under HSH, which is in essence the fox guarding the hen house. Thank you. Belinda Dobbs, I'm a member, member of the shelter monitoring committee and a previous beneficiary of a shelter. So um, I think to keep the, to keep the staff under the Department of Public Health is a good idea because when I go into a shelter to do an inspection or to follow up on a complaint, the people aren't, they're leery of you in a little ways, you know, but not as leery as they would be if our staff fell under HSH. So if it could remain under the Department of Public Health, I think that would be great. Thank you. I guess it's a good afternoon now. Thank you. My name is Melanie Moasau. I am seat 10 on the Shelter Monitor Committee. And um, also, even more importantly, I recently went into the shelter system just because I was getting housing. And um, I am an ex-homeless drug addict from San Francisco and with four years of clean time under my belt. And the Shelter Monitoring Committee has been a wonderful uh, wonderful venue for me to serve on. And I also am in agreement with everyone else who spoke that to be under HSH would actually be a conflict of interest. We actually have members that work on HSH. So I, I see that as being a conflict and we do have a good relationship with DPW right now, or DPH. And I think we should stay, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And, and because I've been in the shelter system and seeking housing, I've seen all of the nuances and the, uh, the, the things that the Shelter Monitor Committee has worked so hard to implement in play. And um, it's actually a very humane and kind, respectful place because of the work that the Shelter Monitor Committee has done, I believe, in the past, even before I was on the committee. So thank you very much. Good afternoon, Supervisor Walton, Supervisor Dorsey, and Supervisor Safai. My name is Angie, and I am one of the staffers uh, for the Shelter Monitoring Committee. However, today I'm reading on behalf of our chair, who was unable to make it, so it'd be okay. I'd like to read a statement from our chair, Deanna Almanza, if that's okay. I was happy to learn that the creation of the oversight of the committee is moving forward. However, I was very disappointed to learn that a representative from the shelter committee was not considered or offered chair to the table when the discussions were held to move the shelter monitoring committee to HSH. I strongly oppose this move given that there is an inherent conflict of interest for staff to investigate complaints from consumers of the shelter system and work for the same system. It is important to note that Shelter Grievance Committee and the Shelter Monitoring Committee are two different distinct committees that should not be compared in this, in this discussion. It is hope it is my hope that the capricious decision to move Shelter Monitoring Committee to be to be re evaluated and rescinded. Thank you for your time. Gentlemen, I've spent the last six days at the sanctuary shelter. You hear my voice? Do you hear how I'm breathing? This is from that shelter. 
I didn't come in there like this. This is what that shelter has done to me. They do not have hot showers. I hate to tell you this, guys. They do not have hot showers in there at all. This young lady right here is coming over here tomorrow. She's going to go see this. You guys should ask her tomorrow. Did they have hot showers? No, there are no hot showers. Those guys in there are so stoned on that fentanyl, they don't even care. But there are people who are handicapped or mentally challenged who aren't on drugs or just homeless that need hot showers and good food. They have good food, but you know what I'm saying? But the dust in that hundred and something year old building is destroying my, my, a guy came in there right after me. He's, he's going through the same thing I am. I'm coughing. I'm, I mean, I'm, you wouldn't believe I don't have a fever. I took a COVID test. They have COVID tests. They gave it to us. I took it right then and there myself. So it's definitely the building is sick. These people are willing to come there. Are you? Because I swear, if you came and looked for yourself, you would go, wow, no way this is happening. Now, if I was a supervisor, honestly, guys, I'd be out there all the time. I would be. And you're about to see me out there all the time because I don't think you guys really realize this, but people in this city are starting to care and they're starting to get pissed and they're starting to worry about their children. And I think you should be worried about their children also, because I see a whole generation right now that either we're going to have to write off or we're going to have to put away somewhere and watch them and take care of them for the rest of their lives. And we're talking about a lot of people, nothing like the heroin in the pot and all that shit before we're talking about some really serious babysitting. So we can either write them off, which is wrong. Speaker time has elapsed. Or we can do the right thing and take care of them and treat them. Thank you. There being no additional uh, commenters in the room, we can move to our remote public comment. Hey, good afternoon, supervisors. I know this is my second call today. Believe me, don't profile me. I'm not bored. This is something that I need to speak on. Yeah, this is something I need to speak on. So, first of all, I've been a tenant in every one of the shelters during my 18 years of homelessness. So I know a little bit about the shelters. Also, chair the one of the chairs of the homeless the, the homeless board at, at City Hall. So, what I want to say is, I don't believe. I know the department will. It's a very well run, excellent department. Our shelters is run as best as we can run them, as far as I know. I don't believe there will be any retaliation against the Shelter Monitoring Commission if they work for HSH. But if you could compare to this, if, if you Board of Supervisors hired me to be the oversight of the Board of Supervisors and you gave me a paycheck every Friday, I would probably back hello on some of the things I really want to say. So you got to put it in that light. I, I, I don't suspect HSA of not being a fair employer, but it's our members. I've already gotten calls from the Shelter Monitoring Commission about this. I believe deep in my heart that Shelter Monitoring Commission should stay under the, the supervision of Department of Public Health. It would be much smoother, and I think we would get some more legitimate assessment of our shelters if we keep it like it is. You know, as one caller says, the, 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 the fox can't run the hen house, something like that. I forget it's been such an old statement. But that's kind of the justice just where we're at. And you cannot supervise your own oversight committee. Nobody can do that. No one should, should have to do that. Thank you. 
Thank you. Can we have the next caller, please? Good afternoon, supervisors. My name is Chris Plunkett. I have been a homeless advocate for around 10 years now, and I'm currently the vice chair of the Shelter Monitoring Committee. I want to echo what numerous others of our speakers have said at this point, where HSH said that there was going to be a quote-unquote switch from DPH and that HSH would quote-unquote provide administrative support and staffing to the Shelter Monitoring Committee. This is a completely unnecessary change and would adamantly reduce the effectiveness of our committee by hurting the credibility of staff who are employees of DPH and are therefore seen by our unhoused friends and clients as impartial as well as influential. In addition, having our DPH staff uh, having DPH staff the Shelter Monitoring Committee as a way of maintaining our prudence checks and balances. If staff were under HSH, anyone can see this, would, this could be an anticipated to discourage constructive criticism of shelters and give overall HSH more control than they otherwise should have. Leaving this clause out would not in any way hinder the implementation of prophecy. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Can we have our next caller? Oh, my apologies. Uh, that was our last, last public commenter. Thank you, Mr. Clerk, and public comment is now closed. Uh, Supervisor Safai. Thank you. Um, just for a moment, I just wanted to bring um, Emily Cohen back up to speak on one of the items. Um, but, I, but I would say, again, and this is not throwing aspersions at anybody, but the, the gentleman that just came up and spoke was talking about existing conditions under existing monitoring in this moment. And again, that's not saying anyone's not doing their job, but what I think we're trying to do with this is bring everything under one house, bring everything under one um, area. It doesn't mean there won't be coordination. It doesn't mean that DPH won't have a role ultimately if there's violations that would be imposed upon. And I understand, but what I also think can happen is that we can you know, you have my commitment that ultimately we can look at if it needs to be the stronger um, additions to the admin code. We can strengthen those standards that are in the existing admin code. That's something that I'm committed to working on with folks. But I wanted to give um, um, Deputy Director Cohen an opportunity to speak on that. And then, and then I can, and I want to say a couple things uh, before we actually make a motion about the actual oversight body itself, because we keep referring to that. Oh, my apologies. Please proceed. <laughs> Through the chair. I really want to thank all the public commenters who spoke on this. The Shelter Monitoring Committee is such a critical part of ensuring that the standards of care are upheld in the shelter and the committee's independence is, is important. The Shelter Monitoring Committee will continue to be an independent body. It will, under this proposal, would receive staffing support from HSH, but the appointed members would continue to do the work that they do to elevate concerns about shelter conditions and to make recommendations. And this way, it could more seamlessly go through the commission Mm -hmm. which would be a more powerful voice for that body to ensure that responses are taken, you know, the issues are responded to. In terms of staffing, you know, HSH staffs the oversight, will be staffing the oversight of the commission. 
HSH staffs the oversight of the local homeless coordinating board, and HSH staffs the oversight of the shelter grievance advisory committee. I believe if we can be impartial to staff those three oversight bodies, there's no reason to think that we would stymie the, the work of this incredibly important body that we you know, have a really ultimate respect for because we know of the, the importance of the work that they do. So I just wanted to, to say that, um, and we hear the concerns around DPH involvement. DPH does have a, will have a seat on the committee mm -hmm. and access to environmental health and oversight from DPH would not be stopped in any way by this proposal. Thank you. And, Thank and you. I, would, I would just add again, and, and part of the reason why we put Prop C on the ballot, why we created this oversight commission is to give voice to and a forum for many of these different bodies, not just to put them under one umbrella, but shelter monitoring committee members will have a forum to go to a commission and put on the public record if there are problems shelter grievance, local homeless coordinating board, our city, our home, all of them, not just members of the board of supervisors, but a now a fully fledged public body that will bring sunshine to these issues. And I think that's also another important point and part of the reason why we, you know, why, why you know, we fought so hard to put Prop C on the ballot, and I think 68% of the voters agreed on that. So, but anyway, um, before I make my motion, I see Sue Roser Walton, Mr. Chair. Vice Chair Walton. Thank you so much, Chair Dorsey. Uh, I just want to make a brief comment. You know, one, I, I definitely respect um, the opinions of the Coalition for Homelessness and uh, typically, we, we are on the same page. I do just want to say that you know, the, the city bureaucracy is already slow enough, and making the commission and the department and the work a little bit more nimble will be very helpful for all of us when we are trying to do our job to make sure that we can get folks off the street and provide proper housing. Our jobs and the job of the commission will be to make sure that everyone is held accountable under this one commission and one city department. I do truly feel keeping DPH, DPH in this portion of the work of housing people and supporting the unhoused would, with all due respect, be a step backwards. DPH is already too big, and this work needs to happen as swift and as nimble as possible. You have a commission now to get answers from, to get responses from, that will be responsible for oversight of the department. And I truly believe that's what the commission's work is for. And also we will be here, of course, to make sure that that work happens appropriately. Thank you, Chair Dorsey. I say one thing, sir, just one little thing. You can't yep. get So, sir, Mr. Sir, Mr. Sir, Chair. Sir, public comment, I'm sorry. It's now closed. Supervisor Safai. Thank you. Can we have order in the room? Um, and just want to comment on the, the commissioners themselves. The intent was to have them heard today, um, but there were some technical uh, errors in terms of collecting information. Uh, so we are going to either hear them in the next week or two at the latest. And so working with the chair to get that finalized either for the following Monday, week from now, or the week after that. Um, and so we will continue to work with, uh, and we want to hear both the mayor's nominees along with the 
the board applicants all at once. So we can take that. Um, we know that there's a charter mandated March 1 deadline. Um, and the intent was to have it here today, but unfortunately all of the information was not collected, so we were not able to hear uh, everyone at once. So I just wanted to put that on the record, but the intent is to have it in the next week or two at the latest. Thank you, Mr. Chair. And, and can I make a motion to send this yep. item yes. to the full board with positive recommendation? Yep, motion is on the floor. Uh, would you like that as a committee report or not? Is it? Has it it been is listed as uh, requested as a committee report. Yes, I would like it as a committee report, please. Okay, the motion is to recommend the matter to the full board as a committee report. Uh, Supervisor Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Vice Chair Walton. Aye. Walton, aye. Chair Dorsey. Aye. Dorsey, aye. The motion passes without objection. Thank you, Mr. Young, and on a unanimous vote then, item four goes to the full board um, as a committee report with positive recommendation. Mr. Clerk, is there any further business? Uh, that completes the agenda for today. Thanks. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. We are adjourned. <laughs>